Welcome to episode 94 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on August 19th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. How are you doing, Corey? Brad, I mean, this... No offense to this, uh, what I'm about to say, because I know oh, you'll, dear. you'll probably sit down? laugh and understand, but <laughs> you have no idea how thrilled I am whenever you emailed me the script and I looked at it and you did not have 45 games listed on the script to talk about this <laughs> week. <laughs> <laughs> I promised my wife that I would not record for as long as we did last time. And I know that you went through uh, hell uh, editing that <laughs> podcast. So for your sake and for my wife's sake and for the sake of my relationship and for the sake of our listeners, that's, I cut it back. I had, I had other games I could have talked about, but we're going to, we're going to table those for now, but I hear you. I hear you. All right, good. I am. I mean, I hope that everybody enjoyed our three-hour and eight-minute or whatever it came out to uh, Odyssey of a show last week. And it was. I looked back at SoundCloud, and it was the longest show we had ever done. And I'm happy because we did two like hour to hour and a half shows before that. So I'm, I'm happy to put out a really long show every once in a while. But goddamn, editing those shows nearly kills me. It's like an entire evening that I have to donate to you know listening back and adjusting sound levels and exporting and all that stuff. But so I'm happy to do it, but not every week. That's for sure. I hear you, man. I hear you. that's just like a once in a while thing. We're not going to do that every time. <laughs> uh, today we've got some banter in the can, which is pretty, pretty good banter. So I think we're going to try to keep it reasonable for the show and then we'll get you uh, out the door, back uh, on your feet, back into life as soon as possible once you get done with the editing. So we will try not to uh, kill your afternoon. And plus <laughs> my family gets me back sooner than expected, which is also a plus. So, Yay. All right, let's quit wasting time and get on with the show. Uh, also, uh, before we unroll our topics today, just a quick reminder that if you are the kind of listener who enjoys our non-games rambling and various misadventures, as I mentioned earlier, we do have a banter segment which will be present after the ending music of the show. So if you don't like random bullshit and stuff like that, just skip it and feel free to uh, peace out when the music plays. But if you want to hear more, there is about as much after the music as there is before so there's still a bit more show if you like it anyway enough of that let's get to what you i assume what you came for what i hope you came for the games chat Corey. this week red faction gorilla now we talked about this a little bit last time i assume by now you've probably beaten the game and completed it i yeah i actually just finished it last night so it was good timing all right so how about a quick recap of the game and then tell us Tell us all about Red Faction Gorilla or RFG to its friends. <laughs> so um, I forgot to mention this on the last show. I think I did, but um, I had gotten Red Faction. So to be specific, we're talking about Red Faction Gorilla, the remastered edition, or as it is eye-rollingly called on the game's cover, the Remars turd edition oh god who fucking approved that oh my god that's <laughs> terrible somebody at thq obviously Ugh, um terrible <laughs> i mean it's like that's like the kind of thing that if i worked for like thq or whoever was like redoing this game that would be like an internal like haha we're clever and really dumb kind of thing but it's not something that i would ever put on the actual 
box of the game, like for everyone else to see. So it's just silly. But I forgot to mention that I think last week I had gotten this game in the mail from Gamefly. But, and maybe there's some kind of like epidemic going on because this happened to you recently. The game disc did not work in my PlayStation. Oh, you do, huh? Yeah, I got it in the mail and like I was able to put it in and install it. And I think there was like an update for it because there's always an update for games. And and I got to like the title screen and then I was able to watch the first cutscene of the game. And then like once the the game loaded between the first cutscene and the actual game, I kept getting like a disc read error on the PlayStation 4. And I was like, are you serious? So I ended up, I tried it a few times and I ended up, I like I deleted the whole game and I put the disc back in and, you know, reinstalled it and hoped that it would help. But unfortunately it did not work. So I had to... Uh, contact Gamefly about the disc not working. And luckily, um, I mean, I've only had this happen. I've been using Gamefly for, God, probably like 10 years now. And I've only had this happen. I think I've only had a disc that didn't work maybe like three times. And I've only had discs get lost in the mail maybe once or twice. And luckily, Gamefly has been super cool about it. Like every time, for those who don't know, who don't use Gamefly, who are maybe wary about it, um, all you do is go onto the support on their website and you file like a disc was missing or disc doesn't work like thing. And then you can decide if you want them to send you the game again, or if they, if you just want them to send you the newest game on your queue. And then as long as you get the game back in the mail within like a few days and send it back to them, I've never had a problem with it. I'm sure if you're the kind of person that says you have a disc that got lost every week, they might like cancel your account or something because they might assume you're just keeping the games. But um, I've never had a problem with it. But then again, it's only happened between lost discs and discs that don't work maybe like five times over, I think like the near decade that I've had uh, Red Faction. So um, so they're, they're easy to work with with stuff like that. Um, but I ended up getting a new disc, uh, but the older Wait, before the you move on, I want to I want to ask you real quick. So did you yeah. look at the disc? Did it have that chip taken out of it? I didn't see it. Um, the disc looked okay to me. Uh, I couldn't find anything out of the ordinary, so I'm not sure what was going on. Okay, I just bring that up for people that missed last episode. Sometimes when I get, uh, I I notice often that GameFly discs have a very particular chip taken out of the edge, and I think it must be their like packaging machine or something. So I suspect sometimes that's what it is. But if you didn't have the chip, I guess maybe just random scratch or something. Who knows? Anyway, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. I might have also just not been looking hard enough because I was. Um, maybe not have been paying that much of attention, although I did wipe the disc off about a million times with a lint-free cloth. But uh, but anyway, um, Red Faction Guerrilla was a game by Volition and THQ in the long... Actually, I probably shouldn't call it long-running uh, Red Faction series. It was the third one in the series. The first one debuted on PlayStation 2. I think it was a launch title. I actually just talked about the first Red Faction about a month ago or so on the show because I played it on PS4. It's available on PS4. Red Faction 2 also available on PS4. Um, but Red Faction Guerrilla got a remastered edition that came out, I think, in June. Um, and Red Faction Guerrilla, I, I love this game, first of all. I just want to preface this whole thing by... It originally came out in 2009 on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. And at the time, it was kind of a reboot of the Red Faction series because Red Faction had always been a first-person shooter uh, that had the first one had some open world elements but it wasn't like grand theft auto by any stretch of the imagination um and the big thing that the first one had going for it was it had this thing called geomod technology and it basically meant that you could like blow holes in walls and like literally like go through the wall into the next room or if you were in like a mars cavern area you could use like rocket launcher or explosives to kind of like blow tunnels into the walls which 
is not very practical. I don't know why that was like such a big thing at the time. I think it was more of like a tech, like wank wank show off thing than it was like an actual good like game mechanic. And then the second one, they tuned it a little bit better. It was also a first person shooter, but the second one was more just about blowing holes in walls. Like if you were in a building and you needed to get to another room, you could just like blow a hole through the wall if the door was locked or something like that. So that was a little bit more uh, tuned. It wasn't about like, you know, excavating into the middle of the earth for no reason at all. But the third one, Red Faction Guerrilla, um, it was third person instead of first person, and it was actually an open world game. So it has a very similar mission structure to basically any open world game you've played. You have different areas of Mars uh, that you have to like liberate, so you have to do like a certain number of side missions. It has a very similar layout to um, to Saints Row, which is um, same publisher I think at the time, and maybe same developer Volition. I want to say. Um, but similar, you have to do a certain amount of side missions to like build up the morale of the area you're in. And then you could do main missions. There's about three to five main missions per area of Mars. And I think there's like six or seven sectors in Mars. So you do the math and figure out, um, you know, about how many missions that is. But um, the cool thing about Gorilla is that instead of the Geomod technology being about burrowing your way to the middle of Mars or, you know, blowing holes through caverns to get to the room next door or whatever. This one was all about destroying huge buildings. So they have uh, Geomod 2.0 technology, they call it. And you start the game with this like giant sledgehammer and these remote explosives that you can throw and they stick to anything you throw them to. And a lot of the missions in the game are about basically like blowing up buildings, which might sound really basic, but the technology in the game is actually really impressive because you can like use your amazing like Thor hammer to like you know bash the foundations off these buildings and then once you get the buildings blown up enough they just come crashing down in front of you and you use the salvage from the buildings as sort of like a currency to upgrade things in the game so you can get like you know you can upgrade so you can plant more explosives um you know to plant like five instead of three and then have the all five blow up at once you get better weapons better armor all that kind of stuff um it has vehicles like any open world game and the premise of the game, I should probably make this clear, is that um, you play as a guy named Alec Mason, who's actually voiced by Troy Baker, who's probably one of the most famous voice actors um, working in games today. He voiced uh, Joel in The Last of Us. This is one of his early games. Um, he play Alec Mason. He moves from Earth to Mars to take a mining job. He's like proficient in explosives and demolitions because that's stuff that he used to do around the world and on Earth. His brother lives on Mars. It's very similar to the first game. You get there to kind of live off world, make some money and do some work that you're good at. But what you don't realize is that when you get to Mars, um, the EDF, I think is the Earth Defense Force, um, they are basically every, all the miners are like really oppressed on Mars. You get there, you think you're flying away to this like cool job that's off world, but you get there and really it's like a military state where all these rich people are like calling the shots from the boardrooms and then they have this militarized police force that's sort of like oppressing all of the the workers and Alex's brother who he goes there to see and work with dies in like the first mission um and like an edf raid and so alec mason like you know promises revenge to get back at the edf and everything and then blow all the shit up and the story is kind of paper thin but it's actually kind of interesting playing it in 2018 versus 2009 because i feel like um, you know, back then it maybe wasn't as interesting or maybe I'm just a little bit older now and I understand it now because like I could sure understand why people would want to go blow up government buildings right now in the current political state in 2018, but maybe not in 2009 whenever I was playing it then. 
Um, but that's basically it. I mean, you do a lot of um, driving around, blowing up buildings, you know, chopping down buildings, using your a, a magical um, Thor sledgehammer to like hit enemies. Uh, you know, you can basically like break them in half anytime you hit them. Um, I really like Red Faction Guerrilla. Um, it's paced pretty well. The thing that I think is the most fascinating about it, which is maybe like a silly thing other than the Geomod technology, is that every district of Mars that you're liberating, there's a district called Parker, there's one called Eos, there's one called Dust, there's the Badlands. Um, they all have a very distinct color palette swap, which I think is maybe an uninteresting thing to bring up, but I also think it's one of the most fascinating things about the game. Whenever you start in the zone called Parker, that's where the game begins. It's It looks exactly how you think Mars would look from like every movie and game you've played. It's really red. It's really dusty. It's kind of industrial, kind of gross, uh, but just like very overwhelmingly red. But then you cross over into another area. And as soon as you like cross the border into whatever area you're going into, the whole palette will change into like maybe like a brown, I know red and brown probably don't sound great, but it's like more of like a muted, more brown, like more foggy area. And then like the Badlands has its own um, sort of like desert looking area and there's like more hills. And as you work your way up, whenever you get to Eos is the last area you go to. Um, Eos is kind of like, like a snowy almost, like it's kind of like a snowy mountain area. It's more blue, it's more neutral, it's more cool toned and... As you work your way up through the districts, like, you can tell that you're kind of working your way up to the class system, too, because in EOS, like, the cars are cool. They're, like, really sleek looking. The buildings are more impressively, like, architecturally designed. They just look cooler. There's more, like, artistic monuments and stuff around, which, of course, are there for you to blow the hell out of because that's what the game is all about. But it's just, like, the, the artistry and class level as you move through sort of, like, the economic planes just, like, get better and more interesting, which I think is kind of a fascinating thing because um, you can tell you're, like, moving your way up through, like, the lower-class miners up into, you know, like, the high society, like, bigwigs who sit at their conference rooms all day who are rich, who are basically telling the EDF to go kill all the miners and stuff. Um, but I like this game. I think if you've played an open-world game, it's not a lot different than a lot of other ones but the geomod technology the building blowing up thing is really the hook of the game and it works incredibly well because if you've heard me talk on any of the podcasts before you know that open world games they have to have something really special to get me into them and um using a sledgehammer and remote mines and rocket launchers to bring entire buildings down um, and watch them crash down in front of you and then pick up their salvage always is fascinating for me i think it's a lot of fun and just like the technology itself, I think it's really impressive. And it's a shame that after uh, Gorilla, the next game that Red Faction, that Volition made for Red Faction was uh, Armageddon, which was kind of like an under, it was more of like a survival horror-y in a way, like a kind of like an in the caves, like third person, standard third person shooter, which wasn't very interesting. And that's kind of why they went under and didn't make any more Red Faction games after that. That was part of the problem. Um, but Guerrilla, if you haven't played a Red Faction game, Guerrilla is a great place to start, and I would highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun um, driving around, and it's got kind of like a Mad Max feel in certain parts. Like in the Badlands areas, there's like these Marauder people who look very similar to sort of like Mad Max mutants, and they drive these cool like three-wheeled motorcycle things that just look really, really gross and really cool, but in a good way. Um 
But I don't know. I think that's, I feel like I've been talking in circles a little bit about this. Um, I like this game a lot and recommend it. Um, I think it's fun. If you haven't played it before, this is a good place to jump in. Now that there's the remastered edition, it did um, freeze up a couple times on me, which is not great. Uh, once during a loading screen, it froze up and I had to close the application completely. Once during another mission, I was using... Oh, it has jetpacks. I forgot to tell you that because I know you like jetpacks, Brad. It has jetpacks. <laughs> you can get a jetpack later in the game. I forgot that the jetpack was in it. And then as soon as I got it, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a jetpack. And uh, I was flying through the air in my jetpack. And there were like a bunch of like tanks and shit and people shooting at me. And I was midair and the game froze up. And that was not cool. You can kind of tell that the game is chugging a little bit here and there. But there's often a lot of stuff going on on the screen. There's people in vehicles shooting at you, there's enemies shooting at you, there's tanks, there's these like bomber jet things that are shooting at you, you're jetpacking across this wasteland, you're setting off explosives, there's just like a lot of stuff going on, and I know that's not an excuse for a game to freeze up, but I can certainly understand why it would in this scenario. Um, but I like this game, I give it probably like one and a half thumbs up uh, overall, but I think it's very well done, and I think it's good that it got a remaster. I thought you were going to say one half stars or something, and I was like, wow, that's not very much. Mm, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I've played this before, and I hear you, like, I hear you um, being enthusiastic about it, which is cool. And I, I actually played this before back when it was new, and I I remember liking it. Um, But I kind of wonder how it would hold up today. I mean, not just the technical stuff, but, I mean, blowing up the buildings i remember it being pretty cool back then because that was like new and we hadn't really had a whole lot of open world games by that point i mean we'd had some but it hadn't been like absolute overload like we've had these days um i don't know i guess i'm just kind of wondering like like if that's really enough anymore i know that you're really liking it but like i mean with the story being thin and kind of i mean i mean okay to be fair jetpack puts it like on the positive <laughs> side for me for sure like i you know i'm weak to jetpacks but like i'm just like i don't know if i would even get enough out of it. I mean, like, I guess what, what is it about blowing up the buildings that is enough for you right now? Because like hearing it now, it doesn't sound like enough, but it seems like you're satisfied with this. So what is it about this buildings, the destruction that's, that's holding your attention? I think maybe the fact that I haven't played any other games that have this kind of technology before, or maybe I have, and I'm just forgetting, but there's just something really satisfying about going to get mission orders and having them be like, oh, Mason, there's a, like, a conference building, or there's a power plant over here on the side of the map, and you need to blow that motherfucker up. And then you, they don't say that in the game, but then you, like, jump in your little cool, like, Mars, like, rover buggy, and you drive over there, and then you, like, walk around the building, figure out exactly how you want to blow it up, because you can do that, like, any way. Like, if you have the rocket launcher, you can just launch rockets at it. There's, like, an upgraded rocket launcher that has these, like, giant-ass explosions that you can shoot at it, um, if you're dumb like me, you can take your sledgehammer and just run around the entire outside of the building and sledgehammer away at the foundation until it's barely standing and then walk inside the building and throw like five remote mines up onto the ceiling, blow them up and then stand back and just watch the whole building come crashing down and see all of that beautiful glowing salvage that you'll be able to pick up to be able to buy like a cooler rocket launcher or something. Or like there's like bridges, there's like this giant bridge right in the middle of the game that you don't have to blow up but you can and it gets you like morale like minor morale for you and there's a, a rifle that you get in the middle of the game probably about a few hours in where uh the rifle bullets kind of just like disintegrate matter and you use it you know kind of as instead of exploding things you just, just like dissolve things uh to bring buildings down and you you're like standing 
underneath this giant bridge and you're aiming the rifle up and you like shoot out all of the, the posts that are holding the bridge up in the air. And then once you hit that last one and you just watch that bridge crumble and just come crashing down into the valley underneath it, it there's, it's just so satisfying. I, I love it. And it's just cool being able to like strategically place um, just like demolitions gear, like, you know, the mines in certain places. Cause I think uh, I maxed out at being able to place five remote mines at a time. I know you can do six if you buy the upgrade. I don't know how many you can do beyond that because I didn't upgrade it all the way, but like being able to strategically place like these five mines and then blow them all up at the same time and see, um, will this bring the building down? Will it be held up by one like ridiculous post? Cause sometimes that happens where like, there's like one foundation post and the building is totally unrealistically, but hilariously being held up by like one post. And then as soon as I walk my fucking ass underneath that building to chop that post out or plant another mine, that's when it decides to fall down and the building comes crashing down on me like an idiot and my ragdoll figure just collapses underneath the building. And luckily that never kills you, but it's kind of hilarious to see. But I, I just, it's something, little things like that that I can't find in other games that are like oddly satisfying for me and I'm glad that I can get them here. I'm going to have to come back to it. I, like I said, I remembered liking it and I think I hit a difficulty spike at the, at some point in the past and I kind of fell off of it. Uh, are you, are you noticing anything like that? Any difficulty spikes that are being discouraging to you or are you just, just trucking through? Well, I played it on the easiest difficulty on casual this time, but there's definitely a few parts of it that are a little bit challenging because sometimes whenever you get to mission areas, you'll get to like a building you're supposed to blow up or you'll get to like some kind of escort thing or something. And it'll just be like overwhelmingly like saturated with like the EDF guards. And there'll be like, if the alert level goes high enough, like the bomber jets will come in and start shooting their machine guns at you. And it's a, and sometimes like that, it's difficult because to be honest, the game's like third person shooting. Cause there, I mean, there's like rocket launchers and explosives and stuff, but then there are just like, there's like a pistol and rifles and like regular um, guns in it. But the third person shooting mechanics aren't the best. So I ended up like not even using like regular guns that much. I just kind of like ran around like a deranged serial killer with my sledgehammer and was just like stalking the enemies as they were shooting at me and just chopping them down with my, um, with my sledgehammer the entire game, which is probably not the way the game is intended for you to use it, but the aiming mechanics aren't great. They're they're passable, serviceable, but they're not great. Um, and also, a lot of the missions don't have mid-mission checkpoints. So there were a few times in the game, and this is frustrating, but it's not the end of the world, where I would get, like, 95% through a mission, and then, like, there was a person I was supposed to rescue, and the building collapsed because the jets were shooting it or something, and they got, you know, enough of the building was... Uh, had gone critical to make it fall down. And I, it was like the last person I had to rescue. And then the building comes down, the person dies. And then you have to do all of that over again, which is kind of annoying, but luckily none of the missions are like super duper long. Like there's never a mission that you're in for like an hour, you know, and then you have to do the whole thing over again if you fail it. But it kind of has that sort of like 2009 era Grand Theft Auto-y thing where occasionally there are some lengthier missions and there's no mid-mission checkpoints, but I mean, there's small gripes. I, I'm not, like, I think I only died maybe, like, five times whenever I was playing it, so it wasn't like I was dying left and right. But I was able to get over them because other parts of the game are so satisfying. All right. I'm going to probably throw this back on my 
Gamefly queue and maybe take another look at it. If nothing else, I'm sure it'll be good times for me and the son to kind of blow some shit up or whatever. Oh so my I god, will, I bet I your will... son would love this. <laughs> he probably he probably would love it. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. He might he might get a big kick out of it. So all right, I will throw that on the gameplay queue and I will report back. Let us move on here. I've got a couple games that I want to discuss really quickly. Uh, first one, just kind of a really brief look at a title called Death's Gambit. Uh, I saw this originally at PAX maybe one or two years ago. It just came out on PS4, Xbox One, PC, and I'm not sure if it's coming to Switch. It would be silly if it didn't, but I'm. it might be in the near future. This is a 2D pixel-based uh, action game. It is not a roguelike. Oh, my God. It is, I was getting ready. I know. I know. It is 100% not a roguelike <laughs> at all. Uh, just a standard, in the kind of Castlevania vein, sort of an action game. Uh, but it's not so much Castlevania as it is uh, Dark Souls. So oh, this no. is... Yeah, so hold on, just, you know, go make a cup of coffee or something real oh, quick, because uh, c- come if back in not, like five minutes. If it's not a fucking roguelike, it's a Dark Souls-inspired game, and there's, yes. like, nothing that makes me run faster from video game marketing than if I see it's a Dark Souls-like or it's a roguelike, and I'm like, all right, I guess this isn't the game for me, and God damn it, if I wish I couldn't... Maybe this is what I should have said for the answer, whatever uh, that person, our, one of our listeners asked us about what genre which we could get into, because every fucking game that comes out is a fucking roguelike, or it's a fucking Dark Souls-like, and I'm not into <laughs> either of those, and they're fucking everywhere. Oh my God, I'm over it, I'm over it. Just give me... Uh, just give me a, a new Castlevania or something like that, or like like Shadow Complex, which is just like a Castlevania but not a Castlevania slash Metroid. Give me that and cut out the fucking Dark Souls roguelike bullshit, and then and then we'll talk. Oh <laughs> so Corey's got some feelings. Corey's feelings. got some feelings. Uh, uh, I won't I won't talk about this game very much because I actually didn't play it for too long. I'll tell you why. Um, I think <laughs> I think I think that it looks cool. Like I like the graphics very much. I think the style is very cool. Um, but this is literally like, I, I, I can't even overstate this. Like, please, please take me at my word when I say this, this game is dark souls in 2d. Like it is literally the same systems, the same mechanics, the same themes. It looks like dark souls even like it is literally, if you sucked that third dimension out of dark souls and made it a pixel based game, like that is what this is. It is, it is. Dark Souls. So I'm not really up for that these days. Like I don't I don't want that right now. I've played through all of the Dark Souls games and I'm I'm good on that. I enjoyed them when they were around. I've had enough. I'm ready to move on to something else for a while. And I I don't mind people learning lessons from the Souls series. I mean, I think Hollow Knight is probably one of the best ones. I think Neo is probably one of the best ones where they are clearly inspired by Dark Souls, but they go off in their own direction. And that's really the future of this genre, I think. I think we really need to see people taking those lessons, but doing something else, doing something that is not a carbon copy, because we're starting to see the carbon copies roll out. And I don't I don't want to say like, oh, it's so easy for someone to make a, a copy of Dark Souls. Like, it's not. I get it's a, a challenge, and there are many challenges in, in translating that material from 3D to 2D and all that. But I mean, I guess I just got to be honest with you. This is literally just Dark Souls in 2D. So I'm not up for that right now, but I think it's really well made. I mean, I think the graphics are great. I think the controls are tight. I think the, I mean, everything you would think of is here. Like the equipment screen looks basically the same. There's different classes. I mean, it, it just is that game. It just is, just is. 
So I don't have a lot to say about it. I think I played it for about maybe like an hour, hour and a half. And I'm like, this is cool, but I just don't want to play Dark Souls again. Like, I'm just not ready for that. I don't want that right now. So it's out there, though. If you are somebody who just needs more souls in your life and you've played all the Souls games and you want more souls, this is more souls. This is literally as close to Dark Souls as you can get without it being actually from uh, the same developer. So this is a thing. No, nothing bad to say about it. I just, I just don't want to play it right now. I'm not in the mood for that. But it's out there and it's well done. So. Well, let's let's talk about um, this versus Salt and Sanctuary for a second because I've never played Salt and Sanctuary, but I remember whenever that came out, that was what everybody said. They said this is Dark Souls, but it's a side scroller. So what? How is uh, Death's Gambit different from Salt and Sanctuary? Or are they like the same game? Uh, okay, so I I played Salt and Sanctuary very briefly because full disclosure, I can't stand um, that developer. I'm sure they're very nice people. <laughs> it is not it is not a personal judgment. I'm sure they're great. I fucking hate all their games. I hate the way they control. <laughs> I hate the way they look. I hate I just hate everything about their games. Like they are like repellent to me. So that's just I'm putting that full disclosure. I am biased. I do not like the work of Ska Studios. I've, I think I've played all their games. And I've hated every single one. I do not like them. So I didn't play Salt and Sanctuary very much, uh, but just controls didn't feel on to me. I mean, but it was a, a 2D Dark Souls, clearly a lot of the same lessons. But Death's Gambit is even closer. Like, it's even closer. Like, the menu screens look the same as FromSoft. The characters look the same as FromSoft. I mean, some of the same um, systems that are in there, exactly the same. I, mean, I think Salt and Sanctuary was a little bit further afield, but they're definitely in the same basket. But, like, literally, this is a carbon copy. Death Gambit, it is. It is Dark Souls. So they're both the same thing. But if you want the true, the closest, um, without a lot of, like, weird platforming and stuff like that, I think Death Gambit is probably much closer. And, I, I mean, honestly, I didn't play either one for very long, but I would guess that playing Death Gambit is probably has a better difficulty curve because I don't, I don't like the way those guys at Ska Studios do. I think they've got some... Some issues that get hand-waved, and I think a lot of people give them a pass because they're an indie favorite, which is fine. I don't, you know, I have no personal problem with that. But for me, their work is, I do not like their work. Um, and again, nothing personal, just from a critical perspective, I can't stand their work. So anyway, uh, but these are the same kind of thing. And I, I mean, I got to I gotta say, dude, like, I just I just don't want any more of these. Like, I just, there's another <laughs> one coming out that I'm, uh, that's coming out at PAX, which again, looks just like Dark Souls. Like, we're, we're really starting to get into the point where, People who fell in love with that series are starting to make their own games, and a lot of them are just way too close to the source material. Like, we don't need a dozen copycats, because the, the real thing is out there. There's a few games which take lessons that are also good in their own right, but I just don't need a lot of copycats. So I just, it's kind of depressing to see stuff like this pop up, but... Anyway, um, let me move on really quickly because I don't want to get like super negative downward spiral here. But <laughs> and again, nothing about nothing wrong with this gambit. I just don't want to play it right now. But if you want to play it, go for it. It seems like a very good, very good product. Uh, the thing that I really want to talk about that I have been putting more time into is Judge, except for it's spelled J Y D J E. I don't know why they spelled it that way. Maybe it was like a search engine optimization thing, or maybe there was a copyright or something. But they pronounce the Y like a U, so it sounds like Judge. Have you ever seen this? I mean, it's been on PSN sale for like a million times. Have you ever come across it? Yeah, every time it's on a PSN sale, I look at it and I think... I have I know I visited the store page for it about a hundred times. And every time, because it's always really cheap on PSN. and Super cheap, super cheap. Yeah, and so, and you know, of course, something being cheap will definitely draw me in because I'm more likely to be to buy something that's experimental that I might not like if it's cheap. And I, but I remember every time 
I, I go to the store page for this game and I look at the screenshots for the game and I know you're going to address this because I've seen you tweet about it. I see the screenshots for the game and I think, man, this does not look like, A, it doesn't look like something I'd be interested in and B, it doesn't look like, like the, the, the screenshots don't match what I think the cover art for the game should be, if that makes sense. So every time I see it, I just pass and move on and it's over with. So hold on your hold on your hats here, sir. Um, I I saw this game a thousand times. I always thought it looked like trash. Uh, the <laughs> screenshots look like garbage. Uh, the developer Ten Tons has not put out very many games that I've liked. I've tried a couple of the games. A couple of them were hot garbage. They were really bad. Uh, very low budget. Very like not very well produced. Um, I did not have a very favorable impression of these guys at all. Uh, and I thought this was just one more trash game from a trash developer. Nothing personal. Um, <laughs> a trash developer, nothing personal. Yeah, nothing personal, but yeah, your work was trash. Uh, sorry, uh, if anybody's... <laughs> I'm going to get so much hate mail after this episode. Oh it's going to be bad. You know, hold on. Uh, I want to ta- take a pause here for a second and think yeah, about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Just to reflect on this for a second. I am... Con- because, okay, you and I, we record every week. You're sitting in your living room. I'm sitting in my computer room slash office slash photo studio slash whatever the fuck else I want it to be. We record every week. We're in our houses. Uh, I know sometimes you go to conferences, you're going to PAX, um, you go to the um, Retro Games Expo thing. I don't do any of that stuff. So, like, you're more, like, in the scene. I'm less in the scene. And so I feel like every time we record the show, and I like this, by the way, it's just you and me being friends, talking about the games we played, like, not really, like, trying to make, uh, like, a bunch of strong statements here or there and not really trying to, like, go out of our way to, like, persuade people to do a certain thing or play a certain game or avoid a certain studio or whatever. But I'm constantly surprised by when we talk about stuff, whenever we have developers tweeted us or voice actors, like whenever I talked about, um, oh my God, what is it called? That puzzle game that I didn't get on with recently that we talked about a few weeks ago that I still need to write my, uh, this is not a review for. I know um, what you're talking about. It had a really super generic name. It was like a, a, a portal alike and you're in a hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something but, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the, because I, I talked on the show about how much I like the voice actress in the game, how I thought she did a really great job. Well, lo and behold, like three days after we put the show out, she finds us on Twitter and tweets at us. And it's like, oh, thank you for the compliments. I appreciate it. But, you know, I'm sorry you didn't like the game. But thank you for, you know, the nice things you said about me. And, you know, it's not the first time that's happened when developers have gotten in contact with us about stuff we've said on the show. Certainly won't be the last time. But, like, I'm constantly surprised because I feel like our operation is such like a... You know, it's just us talking about games. We're not, like, you know, doing live shows and doing, you know, all this and that. It's just us talking about games. And even though it's just us, like, people find our stuff, they listen to it, and then they respond to it. And I'm always surprised whenever that happens because it it never feels like we're operating on that kind of a scale. But sometimes we kind of are, I guess. Yeah, you know, word of mouth gets out. And I guess if somebody hears somebody talking about something, they know somebody. And, you know, the game development world is really small. And games is actually a much smaller world than people think it is. And word gets around, man. And, and you know, I mean, people listen to the show. And we got game critics going on. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, because whenever I say shit like, oh, you're a trash developer, which, <laughs> which okay, to be fair, is a very mean thing to say. Like, I'm a, I, 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 okay, like, I, I feel bad for saying that because they're they're probably good people like it's not a personal statement but to be honest as a consumer and also as a game fan and also as an editor like sometimes you just get these feelings about like oh this game was shit and it was from these guys the next game comes out oh this game was terrible and it was from the same guys oh the next third game comes out oh this game is awful like like certain developers just i mean 
I gotta just be honest, they just make it like a series of really bad games. And it, you know, you can like people as people and think of them fondly as human beings or whatever. But like, if their product is terrible over and over and over, and especially if you spend your money on it over and over and over, I mean, I have an opinion just like anybody else. And if your game is shit, I'm going to tell you it's shit. And if I think your work (laughs) sucks historically, then it sucks. And I feel bad about that because I don't want to hurt people's feelings because, I mean, I've made stuff. I mean, when we get comments at Game Critics about, oh, your reviews are garbage, I mean, it doesn't feel good. And, like, when I uh, put my books out, I got my fair share of people who really didn't think I did a good job on my book, and they were not shy about telling me about that. And that doesn't feel good either. So, like, I don't want to be hurting anybody's feelings. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, attack anybody. I'm not trying to tear anybody down. And I'm not trying to, like, you know, make bold statements to make myself seem like a big guy or anything like that. But like, just honestly, like some games are really, really bad. And some games, (laughs) some developers just don't put out any good stuff. And I, you know, you get burned after a while. So, I mean, yeah. So anyway, okay. So let me, we're getting, we're getting, I didn't mean to derail us. No, no, no. no. That is a very valuable, that is very valuable statement. And I will say also, since you brought it up that when I do go to shows, I do not as much as I used to, but whenever I go to PAX or whenever I go to some developer conference or I go to some show, I do meet people and they're not always people that I really have spoken fondly of. And that's a really <laughs> awkward conversation. That's happened more than a few times when, I mean, I love when I meet somebody when I love their game and I'm like, hey, I'm so-and-so and I love your game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for loving my game. That's great. But there have definitely been more than a few times when they're like, what's your name? And I'm like, Brad Galloway. They're like, oh, it's you. Oh, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. That, I am that guy sometimes. <laughs> and that that has definitely happened. There's been a number of really awkward, awkward conversations, a lot of side eye, a lot of like, yeah, you can just move along, kind of a vibe going on. So that happens too. Um, but all I can do is be honest and share my opinion. And if you don't like that, that's fine. But I'm not going to deceive anybody. And I got to I gotta call it like I see it. And some games are just honestly bad. And some developers just don't, you know, they need to improve. They need to put out a better product. So that's that's all I'm going to say on that. And, and, and again, nothing personal to anybody. Um, so, okay, getting back to the, the <laughs> getting back to the fucking game. <laughs> Getting back to the game, Judge. Okay, so these guys have made a, sh- a series of shit games, and I did not think highly of them as a studio. I thought they put out garbage. Uh, but Dan reviewed this. Dan Weissenberger reviewed this at Game Critics a while ago, and he gave it a nine. And I'm like, okay. Whoa. I'm like, all right. I Dan, I love Dan. <laughs> I love Dan. But sometimes Dan has very weird opinions. Did you and have I to, love him did for you them. fly him to the United States so you could he could sit in the principal's office and you guys could discuss this? I, you know, I think I probably should. I, sh- I probably should have flown him in. Sometimes Dan is brilliant. I mean, he's, he's usually generally brilliant. He's a great guy. Awesome writer. He's one of the core pillars of game critics. Uh, but sometimes he'll like a game that I really dislike, and he will just love it. And that's fine. We have no problem with varying opinions. So when he wrote his nine, I'm like, okay, maybe this is Dan being Dan. I, uh, I've seen these guys with the work. I don't really like it that much. Whatever. But it finally got on sale. Um, again, this game is constantly on sale. I think I bought it for like like a dollar 99 or something like that. <laughs> this game is fucking awesome. I'm so like shocked and surprised. <laughs> it is an awesome, awesome game. I never would have guessed it from the screenshots. I never would have guessed it from their previous work. I never even would have guessed it after Dan's review. I thought that was Dan being Dan on one of his, uh, you know, on one of his uh, idiosyncrasies. Uh, but no, this game is legit. Awesome. Dan was correct. And these guys finally got their shit in order. Cause this game is, is basically, the love child of Hotline Miami and RoboCop in like all of the best ways. Oh, um, okay. This, so, all suddenly sounds, my interest has peaked. I kind of thought you would get interested in this because uh-huh. I know you liked Hotline Miami. And I, I mean, who doesn't like RoboCop? I mean, you like RoboCop, right? I mean, I guess I wouldn't call myself a super fan, but he is, he is a notable character in the history of film. 
I've never met anybody who like actively dislike RoboCop. So I just kind of assume. <laughs> so, okay. So that's literally what this is. This is RoboCop plus Hotline Miami. I, ne- I never would have guessed it. But like what you do is you take a robot and this is like a total top down 2D, very much presented in the same fashion as Hotline Miami, where you're looking down and you can see inside rooms and, you know, you just get like a top view of the whole level. And each level will have a certain number of objectives. Like it'll be like rescue civilians, uh, recover evidence and kill the bad guys. And, you know, each level has different objectives. It's not always the same thing. So you go in and, you know, you just kind of shoot stuff at first. And it seems like, okay, this is how I'm fine. But once you start unlocking stuff, this game has a literal hojillion of like fucking options and abilities and powers. And you can mix and match them as much as you want. And they're all like super cheap. So you don't really have to even earn that much money. Um, you just buy like, okay, like I have regular bullets. Well, I don't want regular bullets. I want shotgun bullets. Well, I don't want those. I want plasma bullets. No, I want electric bullets. Well, I want armor piercing bullets. Like all those bullets are in there and you can like upgrade them all. And it's like, oh, okay, well I want to be more assault so I can get like more body armor or I want to be stealth. So you can buy like a stealth unit or you're like, I want some backups. You can buy a drone to go with you. Or you can want to crash through walls. You can get like a wall breaking unit. So you can just like walk through walls or you want like, there's like, there's like 10,000 fucking options to change, like significantly change how you play. And so if one approach is not working, you buy a couple options, like spec your robot outlook differently. And then he's like a totally different character. So you can do like melee, you can do like a sniper, you can do like all out assault, you can do stealth. I mean, you can do like whatever. And sometimes you will want to go back and forth depending on what the objectives are. Um, so that, I mean, the amount of options is mind boggling. I, I'm staggered. I haven't even unlocked them all yet. And I've already got like more than I know what to do with. Like there's just, I basically feels like infinite variety in how you can spec your robot out, which makes the levels amazing to play because if you play one way and you're getting beaten, you can always just come back and respec. And then like all of a sudden you win the next time or like, you know, it opens the door for many, many different strategies, but the gameplay is always really tight and like very hotline Miami-esque where it can just be like a run and gun if you want it to be, or it can be like a very quiet, like stealthy, um, you know, sneak attack hitman kind of style thing. Or you can do like any mix and match or anything like that. So, I mean, that right there, the work they did with all of the different options available to a robot is pretty fucking over the top outstanding. Like, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but beyond that, I really like how they've designed each level because the, each, each objective, once you do that objective, they log it as being done. So even if you do it and then you like like rescue the civilians but then you get killed. It still counts you as rescuing civilians. So even if a level is really hard, you still feel like you're making progress every single time you play because you keep the money that you earn so you can buy more upgrades if you failed. Anything that you did stays done so you can still keep working towards completion of that level. And there's also uh, more difficult enemies in each level that have like a name. Like there's a bunch of goons and grunts. You can just mow those guys down. But there's also these really tough guys. Like maybe there'll be like a sentry robot or maybe like a couple of like drugged out um, gang bros or something. And they're like, like much tougher than the other goons. If you, if you kill those guys, they will stay dead forever. So like maybe the first run was too hard. You couldn't take out the mobs plus the boss, but you kill that boss. And even if you die, when you come back, the boss is still dead. So that way you can like get further than you did the last time. So it keeps you moving forward all the time. It's fucking brilliant, dude. I cannot tell you how many times that little bone they throw you of permanence towards your progress has saved this game like so many times over. Like it would have been so frustrating if not for that, but it ends up not being frustrating at all because it's like, okay, all I got to do is kill this one guy. If I can kill this one guy, that's one solid step. He's not going to be there next time. Next time I can come back and spec differently. And then I will play uh, a little bit further and I'll get like the next objective and maybe I'll make it, maybe I won't. But even if I don't, that objective is done. And so you kind of like slowly and methodically work your way through all the levels. And it, 
I rarely ever replay levels, but this game has got me replaying levels over and over for completion because I just love the fact that it, it is respectful of your time and it wants you to keep playing and it is respectful of your efforts, which is so rare. And it is such a smart decision. I love that they did that. I mean, I absolutely cannot understate or I can't overstate like how amazing it is to feel like every run you do is worthwhile, even if you lose, like you don't feel bad about it. You just feel like, okay, that was good, but I'm going to get further or I'm going to change my approach or something like you always feel like you made progress. Like you did something meaningful, which is really significant these days. Um, so I like that a lot. And they're always throwing little things that you're always constantly unlocking stuff. You're always getting little perks. So there's always something to look forward to. And uh, I just, I dig this, the fuck out of this game, dude. Like these guys, I don't know what happened. Like I honestly thought their previous games were garbage, but this one is brilliant. It controls great. It's got a great system. It's got great design. I have been super addicted to this game. I, lo I love this game. I think this game is fantastic. And I think that you, Corey, would be very well served to check this out. I cannot believe you are successfully selling me on a game that I have looked at like 10 times on the PSN and passed on every single time because I thought it looked stupid. And everything that you're saying about this game sounds really good to me. Like all the best aspects of, you know, say Hotline Miami or even like Ruiner. Cause I know I got along with Ruiner really well and you didn't like it, but it's making me think of Ruiner. Cause there's like a good amount of customization in that game too, as far as like the special abilities you can do. Um, but also the fact that it seems slightly roguelike-ish, but you don't lose progress because of the boss killing thing, um, all the customization options, the fact that you can play it stealthy or you can be like run and gun. I mean, you are really speaking all the right things to me right now. And I am, I am just as surprised as anyone about these developments that this sounds like something that I would be into. You got to check it out, man. You can get it for like two bucks or something. If it's on Switch, which we may be talking about in a minute, it might be a really good place for Switch. But I, anywhere you play it, I think is great. And it just it just has to be really, really underlined. Um, no matter what you do, like you don't get penalized. Like you don't lose anything you've unlocked. You don't lose money you've earned. You don't uh, progress you've made isn't erased. And that is just so amazing. Like it is such a blessing. Um you know, kind of like, I mean, I've played so many games where you get sent back to a checkpoint, got to do the thing over, get sent back or, you know, sent back to the beginning of a level, got to do the thing over. It just, get, it kind of wears on you after a while, especially if you have limited time or not a lot of, uh, you know, not many opportunities to play. And just to play something like this where it's like, yeah, man, we want you to play this game. This game is probably going to be hard in spots, but you know what? We're not going to smack you down. Like, we're going to give you a chance. We're going to let you keep going. I just, I fucking appreciate that so much. Like, I just can't even understate, or, or I keep saying the wrong thing. Can't, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I can't overstate how amazing that is. So great design, great content, great, like, service to the player, like, great respect of your time. Like, I, I actually, I legitimately love this game. I think it is so good. Uh, you should check this out. I know you like Hotline Miami. I know you like Ruiner. I would say this is better than both of them, honestly. I think, um... Just that feeling of like being in control, having options, being able to approach a situation, trying new things, and never getting punished for it uh, is great. I, I don't think games need to punish people, and this is one perfect example of where you can have a very challenging, very uh, difficult at times game that does not feel like uh, an atrocious trial. It's, it's wonderful to play this. Mm, you have sold me on this. All right. All right. That's one. That's one I've sold you on. <laughs> Take your two bucks. I think it'll be well spent, man. Check this game out and get back to me. I want to hear your full report. I would be very surprised if you didn't think this was a worthwhile play. Well, I mean, uh, after all, I am looking for some first games 
to purchase. Oh, let's just do it. Aww. Let's just rip the Band-Aid <laughs> off. Let's, okay, so folks, I I got spoiled on this through Twitter, but Corey has a gigantic announcement to make, and it's going to be our next topic. Corey has taken the plunge, and he is now a proud owner of a Nintendo Switch. Hooray! It's true, hooray, it's hooray. true. I, even the la- I know I've said it a hundred times on the show recently, but last last time I was like, Brad, I think I'm... I think I'm getting serious about this. I think I'm going to go pick one up. And sure enough, on Friday after work, the stupid thing, this is kind of an inside, but the stupid thing is I thought all week that Friday was payday. And like, I didn't need it to be payday for me to afford a Switch. Like, I was fine buying one without it being payday. But like, that would have helped because it would have been like, you know, some more money in my account. I would have felt a little bit better about, a little better about buying it. And I think it was on like Wednesday or Thursday. I checked my uh, bank account online just to see, you know, how things were going, make sure I wasn't like negative $100 in my checking account. And <laughs> yeah, check that first. I've yes, been there. <laughs> yeah. So sure enough, payday was next Friday. So somehow I got my pay Fridays mixed up because I get paid bi-weekly um, at the job I work. And and so that was kind of a bummer, but I was like, you know what, whatever, I don't care. Like I have, cause I had birthday cash. I talked about it on the last ride, birthday cash, gift cards, all this stuff. It's like, you know, whatever, I'm just gonna go buy a Switch. So um, so my next official show topic is the fact that I bought a Switch and to talk about my first experiences with it, which is funny to me because buying a new console, at least for me, whenever you're an adult is much different than whenever you're a child because I am 30, I just turned 30. So I can kind of consider this a late birthday present to myself cause I did use some birthday money for it. Um, Went to Target, uh, looked at games, looked at the Switch, looked at the accessories, and I decided, okay, I'm just going to buy the Switch. I'm not going to buy anything else. Um, you know, I'll take it home, get it warmed up, figure out what, what games I want to buy later, figure out if I want to get a memory card later and all this stuff. So I buy the Switch. I bring it home. Um, I take it out of the box. I plug it into the TV. I plug the stand in, or I plug it into the Switch per the directions on the box. I do the whole setup thing, you know, I turn it on, I put in my Wi-Fi password to get it connected, I set up my profile, which I already had a Nintendo account, which I forgot that I had from the Wii U, I guess, but luckily I was able to log into it and everything was there and it was all good. Um, And then once I got it all set up, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go take a nap. And if I were 12, (laughs) I would have just glued myself to the switch and played it, you know, for the next 24 hours straight. But I was like, you know what? It's there. It'll be waiting for me when I get done with my nap. I just worked and I'm tired and it's Friday and I can stay up as late as I want. So I'm just going to take a big old nap. So that's exactly what I did. I took a nap. I got up. And to be completely honest with you, this is really sad, but I bought it on Friday afternoon. It is now we're recording on Sunday afternoon. I like really haven't even played it that much, which is kind of sad because I... I'm trying really hard to decide what, like, big first game I want to buy on it. Because I'm not, we've talked about it before, but I'm not, like, a, I'm not a big Nintendo fan. And I know you aren't really either. So, like, um, like somebody asked me on Twitter, they're like, oh, did you buy Zelda yet? And I'm like, well, no, because I don't really care about Zelda. And I already have Zelda on the Wii U. Like, Patrick bought Breath of the Wild on Wii U. So, like, if I really wanted to play it, I could play it there. Um, but I'm not interested in Zelda, so I haven't played it. I'm not interested in, like, Mario games. So, like, I haven't, you know, I didn't buy Mario. I didn't buy ARMS. Like, I didn't buy um, anything. And I went to the to the eShop to see if what the demos were. Because I was like, well, this is perfect. I can just download a handful of demos. I can, you know, play some games and kind of see what I like. Maybe I'll buy something. Um, there are not that many demos on the eShop, which is really disappointing to me, um, which maybe shouldn't come as a surprise because demos have been getting harder and harder to come by uh, lately in this console generation. But I was really banking on, and this is going to be so stupid, and I know you're going to roll your eyes whenever I say this, Brad. Um, 
I was really hoping that Doom would have a demo because I already own Doom on PlayStation 4. And I really, 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 really like Doom. And I was like, well, this would be kind of like a fun, like dipping a toe into the Switch, like playing something I'm already familiar with that I know I like, but trying it on a new platform because I don't want to buy a big game like Zelda and then not like it because I'm worried that that's going to happen. I did not buy Doom. I just want to make that clear. But I was hoping there would be a demo for it. There wasn't a demo for it, which is weird because there's a demo for it on every other console but the Switch. So I'm trying to decide what I want to do. And I have... um. I was also thinking about buying, and this is another, like, this is so sad. I'm thinking about buying all these games that I already own on the Switch, which is ridiculous, but uh, but here we are. Um, I was thinking about buying Resident Evil Revelations 2 on the, on the Switch because I have that on PS4. I really like that game, and I feel like that would be a good kind of, like, another kind of, like, dipping a toe in, getting used to the console, getting used to the controls, playing something I already know and like, but in a portable way. And so the only game, I've downloaded like three demos, but the only game I've bought on Switch so far, this is also a game that I already own somewhere else. And I only remembered it was on Switch because I looked at the top, they have like a top 30 selling games of the past month page or something. And I was surprised and thrilled to see that North was like their like number 20 or 21 selling game. Because I really like North, and I feel like it's a weird game by a weird developer that not a lot of people know about, but it was on the top-selling list. It's only, like, $2.99. It's only, like, one gig. So I was like, yeah, this is perfect. Like, I can support this developer I can like. They make these weird avant-garde games. It's a game I already know a little bit about. It'll just be kind of fun to put it on Switch and see what it's like. Um, I tested it a little bit, but I didn't play all the way through it because one thing about North that's kind of inconvenient for Switch is that you can't save your game in it. You kind of have to play it all in one go, but you can, you know, back out of the game and go to the home screen and then, you know, re-go into the game as long as you don't quit the game entirely. You can kind of pause it. But so far, uh, North, which is an odd choice for first game, is the only game I've purchased for Switch so far. And I ordered a memory card for it. I ordered a micro SD card yesterday, a 64 gigabyte one, because... It comes with 32 gigs internal, but once that's formatted, it's like 28 gigs or something um, to make up for the software and stuff. And Resident Evil Revelations 2 is like 25 gigs, and I haven't bought it yet, but I'm thinking about buying it. So like if I buy Resident Evil Revelations 2, that's basically going to take up all of the internal memory on the Switch. So I knew I had to get a memory card at some point, so I bought a 64 gig one. It won't be here until Tuesday. Um, but yeah, I'm the proud owner of a Switch. I've had it for three days and I've barely played it. I haven't even bought like a big real game on it yet except for North. So that probably doesn't sound too like, I don't know, fanatic old, but, uh, but I have one and I'm ready to dive in. Maybe Judge will be my first big game that I haven't played before that I buy on it. So before we get into the games and stuff, what did you think of like just the hardware and the experience of like, you know, taking it out of the box and holding it in your hands? I mean, what is, what is your impression of it in that, in that sense? Oh, uh, I like it. I mean, I the, the kind of cool thing for me was that I have been around some Switches before. Like, my friend Jason, who lives in Columbia, has one, uh, Columbia, Missouri. And so when I went home for Christmas, I was able to... I played Mario on his for, like, I don't know, like, two minutes or something. Like, I didn't, you know, sit around and play it all night. But I hadn't really, like, actually held one for a long period of time and really been able to, like, look at all the ins and outs of it and, like, detach the controllers and, you know, do this and that with it. So... I definitely like the way it feels. Um, the controller, the little Joy-Con things coming off and on, it's really smooth and they click in really nicely. I haven't used it. I have the stand set up to, with my TV, but I haven't actually used it on my TV yet. 
Um, I also have not used the little like controller thing that comes with you can plug the Joy-Cons into to make it like a traditional controller. I have not used that yet either. I've either used it um, in my hands, like, you know, a true portable, or I've propped it up on the, on the coffee table and taken the Joy-Cons off and used them separately, which I actually like that mode of sort of controlling things a lot. And I want to use that whenever I buy my first, like, game that I can get into to try that, just, like, keeping it on a table in front of me, having the Joy-Cons off of it, and playing with them separately from the system. Um, I like the way that feels. I hope that I like the way that feels when I actually get, like, knee deep into a game rather than just you know playing something for a few minutes um but that's i don't know that's kind of my impression so far i like i I like the way it feels it feels sturdy probably my biggest complaint and this can probably be solved by getting a screen protector is the screen is very reflective so it's like when i'm playing a game if the scene in the game is not particularly bright i'm pretty much just like looking at a reflection of myself in the screen which is kind of embarrassing because i don't want to be looking at my face while I'm playing these games, um, but I'm sure that could be solved with some kind of screen protector or by playing it, you know, tilting it in a way where it's not reflecting on me by a window or something. But that's like my weirdest complaint so far, and it's not even that big of a complaint, but um, so far, so good. Yeah, I have that complaint also. I mean, that's kind of true of like any portable. When you're in like a well-lit environment, it can be sometimes difficult to see what's on the screen. Uh, what I usually do for that is I carry a big blanket in my backpack, and when I go someplace where it's well-lit, I just throw that blanket over my head put up a little t- <laughs> to shut t- up you're lying you're i am lying. lying i am lying i have done that i have done that but i don't i don't just bust it anywhere uh that is a problem though that is for sure a problem i do uh i do recommend one particular screen protector which actually was recommended to me by owner and founder of game critics chi con lu uh who has not been on this uh show yet but i gotta say like he told me he's like oh brad this is like the best screen protector ever it's so amazing and i'm like whatever she like it's a piece of plastic <laughs> shut up no he was right dude like it is like when i got it i'm like oh this is nice like this is, i like i never say that about shit it's called the um am film and it's one word am film tempered glass screen protector uh, and it gets sold in a two-pack. It is an amazing screen protector. And it sounds stupid because what's so amazing about a screen protector? <laughs> Trust me, when you get it and you open the package, you'll be like, oh, this is really nice. Like, it's very nice. Uh, much better than any, than any screen protector you've had before. I have that on both of the Switches here in the house. It is great stuff. I definitely recommend that. That particular one is great. She was right on the money uh, with that one. And it's not that expensive either. Definitely worth whatever it costs. Uh, I have no complaints about that whatsoever. I did also buy um, the official Wii Stand. Um, so I'm sure you've discovered that there's that little dinky-ass kickstand on the back of your mm, Switch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing is pathetic. There should at least, <laughs> at the very least, be two so that there's one on each side so it's more stable. There's only one on one side, and I have found that it's not very great. I mean, it does the job if you're in a very quiet place and you're not going to get bumped. But if you're in any place, like you're in a moving vehicle or you're on a boat or something or on a, any place where there's going to be, you know something going on like i just i feel like it doesn't get the job done so there's one little plastic thing you can get and i forget who makes it but it's a well-known peripherals manufacturer it's like a flat piece of plastic and then it pops open i don't know like a switchblade or something and it kind of like folds into like a little stand so that if you're somewhere like you can stick it on your coffee table put the switch on top of it you can sit on your couch and then control at a very comfortable distance i do like that official switch stand it's very nice if you google it it's like the first thing that comes up or i can send you a link later on but it's, it's a really good one um, and I would definitely recommend uh, a pro controller. I think a pro controller is great. Uh, for a while, I was carrying it around with me in my backpack, so I would have my Switch. 
And then I would have the pro controller as well. So when we get to like the office and nothing was going on, I would just pop out the uh, the little the little uh, stand, put the switch on top of it, bust out the pro controller, and have a very comfortable, legit gaming experience um, on the go. So that was really cool. I definitely recommend that if you feel like you're going to be spending some time with it. And you work in an office, so maybe if you get a quiet moment here or there, it might be worth it for you. Um, so I. As you know, I've been talking about the Switch a lot. I've been playing Switch a lot. Uh, nothing but good things to say about it. I play quite a bit of time, quite a bit of time on the Switch. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of games to recommend. I know our tastes don't always line up, uh, but there's definitely some good stuff to check out. And uh, I got, I haven't really taken a look at the demos. I know that there's not many, but, I mean, when, we should probably talk. Or maybe we could do, like, a, um, a Switch recommendations episode or something. We can kind of go through in greater detail about, you know, what's what and, uh, and what's good, but definitely check out judge for sure. I think you would like, um, I, I, I think I also have resident evil on the switch, but I don't think I've ever played it yet. And you were smart to get a memory card. Cause that thing fills up so fast. Like one game will fill up the internal memory. So I think I bought also like a 64. And as long as you stay away from the big 3d stuff, you can hold quite a bit of game on it. So it's pretty good. But, um, mom hid my game is a really cute one. Um, uh, Owlboy. I bought, but I haven't got to, but I'm very much looking forward to um, other stuff. Subsurface Circular, you might want to check out. Count Lucanor, which I really love very much. You might like that one. Um, and we'll go through it. We'll go through some yeah, games. We'll I almost some stuff. bought Subsurface Circular because it's on sale right now for like $4 and some change. And I came really close to buying it the other day, but I was like, oh, I'll wait. Like maybe, maybe I'll buy it in the future. Because it's not, I think it's only like five or six bucks full price. So it wasn't like... The sale wasn't like some astronomical sale, but that's on my list. I think it's on my wish list, as a matter of fact, which I cannot believe that the PlayStation 4 and PSN doesn't have a wish list on the on like profiles for PSN. That's so awful. You have to go on the website to do a wish list on PSN. So um, I'm thankful that um, the Switch has a wish list built in right there into the eShop. I love the Switch wish list. I have like probably like 30 games on my wish list that I haven't bought yet. It's I really love that feature. It's just smart from a marketing perspective, smart from a sales perspective, smart from a usability perspective. And I totally agree. Uh, PS4 really missed a trick by not having that on... I don't even understand it because they have the functionality on the PC side, but not on the PS4 console side. Makes no sense. They should totally... I mean, that's way overdue. I really wish they had it on the console. Uh, but yeah, it's good. So I, I'm really loving the, the, the hardware. I'm glad that you're finally uh, aboard the Switch train. I'm sure we will be talking about many, many Switch games um, in the near future because I... I know you like some indie stuff. I know you like some stuff that's offbeat. I kind of, you know, lean that same way. And Switch is really where it's at these days. So I think we're going to be talking about it a lot in the near future. I hope so. I will um, probably as soon as we finish recording, I'll get on the eShop and look up Judge. And if it's a reasonable price, I will probably buy it. You should do it, man. That game is a good-ass game. That is a good-ass game. I dig that game. All right, let's move on, and then uh, I think we're probably pretty close to wrapping the show up. I have one more game to talk about really quickly. Uh, you know, a couple of shows ago, when we were doing the AMA show, people were asking what was my a mechanic that we don't see often that I really like, and I said taking parts from other people and using it for yourself, right? Mm, yes, yes, yes. So, like, like, literally, like, the week after I said that on the show, I found a game with that exact mechanic <laughs> popping up. And I'm like, oh, man. I, okay, so I got I to gotta pick this up. It's called TerraTech, T-E-R-R-A-T-E-C-H. It's all one word. Uh, it looks, I don't know, kind of Minecrafty vaguely, but you basically have a bunch of vehicle parts that you put together. And then you go off in this world, kind of an open world, where you, like, mine for materials, you fight other vehicles, 
And when you destroy those vehicles, you can take their parts and add them to your own vehicle. So you kind of slowly get bigger. And, you know, if somebody's got a couple wheels that you don't have, you put them on and use them however you see fit. Somebody's got a couple guns, you stick those on your vehicle and drive around. And hopefully that'll make you a better vehicle. Um, I really like this game a lot. There's definitely problems with it, but I like the concept. Um, building vehicles is fun. And they have really nailed how easy it is to put vehicles together. Like everything is broken down into component parts. Uh, and everything kind of snaps to grid. So when you've got your 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 chassis, you want to stick a gun on it. You just like pick up the gun with your, your stick, move it over to the rough approximate area where you want to stick it on. And the game knows where you want to put it. So that it kind of like snaps it to. And if you like, you can rotate it or move it somewhere else. But it's very easy to put it together. It's not a problem at all. Very good interface for that. Lots of different parts, which I think is really cool. You can have like a standard little gray I don't know, service vehicle, you can have a giant like orange construction vehicle, you can have uh, stuff that flies, you can have helicopters, you can make UFOs, you can make all sorts of stuff. Um, there is a creative mode, which has everything unlocked and you can have enemies or no enemies. So if you want just like a really peaceful, chill experience, you can turn on creative and turn off enemies and you'll have infinite blocks and just can build to your heart's content, which is really fun. My son has been enjoying um, that mode quite a bit. I like to have a little bit more purpose in my games and so I'm doing the survival where you get dropped down, you start with the most basic vehicle possible, and you have to work your way up based on what you can kill and based on what you can find, which is pretty cool. I kind of like that, and I like the feeling of progression, and I like the feeling of slowly getting better. So started off with this really dinky little four basic wheels, a drill, and a gun, and then I'm slowly like working my way up to being like this giant, um, you know, rolling fortress on four wheels and like a million <laughs> cannons and stuff. So the progression is pretty cool. And I just, I just like the feeling of building. It's got a very Lego-esque feeling to it where you can get creative and make weird things, and it all just works. Like, it all just works really well. Um, so they've been very thoughtful about the mechanics of, like, how it feels to put things together and how those things work when you're playing. So very, very positive um, in that aspect. There are a couple of problems with it, though, which kind of hold it back from being, like, a full-on recommendation. And most of this has to do with the survival mode. Uh, I, I've been in a couple situations where you'll meet some enemies and it's kind of weird because I, I kind of feel like so far everything kind of devolves into the same basic design of like you want to have a rolling platform and you want to put like as many guns on your front as possible so that like when you meet somebody you can take them out ASAP and so like you'll meet a bunch of vehicles that are kind of all along those similar lines there's not really a whole lot of reason to not design that way because it seems to be the optimal build so in that aspect, I feel like it's like you're kind of seeing the same vehicles over and over. And even for yourself, like it kind of makes the most sense to make a vehicle like that. So I kind of would like to see a little bit more variety in the mechanics. Um, also, when you're playing survival, one thing that is lacking is a way to collect parts from your enemies. Now, you can pick them up off the ground like you're you're driving in your car. You see another car. You blow up that car. The car falls into its pieces. You can pick them up and put them on your car immediately. That's no problem. But if you want to pick up the pieces and save them for later or just put them in your inventory for future, that is a problem. There is a little um, device that you can unlock, which looks like a little black hole. You bust that out and it sucks up all the free parts in the area. But they don't just give it to you right off the bat and it takes a while to unlock it. And it's possible that you could easily spend like several hours without ever unlocking it if you're not doing the right mission. So I feel like that should come just standard like when you start to play because if you don't have parts in your inventory, it's really hard to keep track of stuff you need and you don't know what you're going to need. So sometimes you're putting stuff on your car right away, but then you're not sure if you want to put it all on there and sometimes you can't fit it. 
and like, oh, I wish I could save this thing for later, but maybe I can't fit it now. And it would just be better if they just let you collect all the parts from the get-go. Like, that should just be a basic game function. It shouldn't be an unlockable feature. So I've had some problems with that. I actually still haven't unlocked it fully in my game. I've seen it, and I've interacted with it a little bit, but I don't have it unlocked for my use, which I noticed to be, like, a big problem. So I'm not too happy about that. And, you know, the other thing, too, is... It's very easy to have your parts blow up. And <laughs> at first I thought that when you got shot, like your parts just fell off. But that is actually not the case. When people are shooting you, your parts can be destroyed. And so if you win the battle, it's very possible to win a battle and be crippled afterwards. Like I just yesterday, I spent a lot of time building this really cool, like big construction vehicle, had a bunch of guns and looked really rough and tough. And it was... But I, I ran into somebody in the survival that was just bigger and rougher and tougher than I was. And I beat them, but they, like, destroyed my vehicle. Like, out of the four tires, two tires were gone. Half of my guns were gone. My battery was gone. And some other stuff was gone. And, like, I literally could not replace it. So I was stranded out in the middle of nowhere with two wheels. And I couldn't roll back to base. And I didn't have anything. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have anything in my inventory uh... that I could use because I don't have the parts vacuum collector thing. So I was stuck and it just, it kind of sucks. It's kind of bad form to be like you won, but there's literally nothing around here that I can use to get myself rolling again. And if I don't have anything in my inventory, then you're just kind of fucked. So they let you save scum, which is what I did. I just reset to a previous save or before my vehicle was destroyed. But that's, that's a really, that's a poor choice. That's a really poor design. I think that if you don't have the parts available, they should just let you, you know, pay a small fee and recreate your vehicle, which is, which is an option. But if you don't have enough money, you can't do it. And then if you're stuck in the middle of nowhere, you're just stuck. And I guess I don't know what they want you to do other than save scum and just like, you know, reload a save. Um, it seems really inelegant and I can't help but feel that there would be a better solution for that. Like maybe just let people collect parts from the get go or, uh, you know, something. There must be some kind of workaround to that because it feels like it's just really not a good idea. So I've been frustrated like that a few times. Um, but otherwise, I really enjoy it. It's I'm really enjoying going through just bit by bit taking my time, kind of building up pieces. I really, really want to unlock the parts vacuum soon because I think that will advance my, my campaign quite a bit. But just building vehicles and stealing parts and just getting creative in a Lego sense is really fun. Um, there's one other game that's like this that I'm really anticipating, and I think it's called Trail Makers, I think, which is basically the same idea except for the point of that game is to build a vehicle collect parts and ultimately you like you want to cross the planet like you want to get from one side of the planet to the other so it's more about like just building an efficiently moving vehicle which is pretty interesting um this one is more about combat a little bit smaller scale but still um a cool idea a cool thing a cool toy like if you want to just kick it on creative and put your kids in front of it this would be like a blast like just putting stuff together is so fun so enjoying it it's not perfect but i do think it is a good time thoughts Corey? I might be way off base here, but whenever you're describing this game, I'm getting very similar vibes to Cross Out, that free-to-play game that you and I both yeah. tried. How yeah. does it compare? Very similar to Cross Out. Um, I actually think it's easier to use than Cross Out. It's simpler to put the vehicles together than it is in Cross Out. Um, but you'll notice that like the same thing that was in Cross Out where you want to have a front-loaded with guns kind of car very true here as well. So you have some of the same design problems, which I'm not sure how you would approach that, but I'm not a game designer, so I guess it's not my problem. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very, very similar. Uh, just less less of a PvP focus uh, in terms of you're not really playing with other people. You're kind of just you versus the environment. Although there is a PvP mode, but uh, you can spend most of your time in just PvE mode. But yeah, same kind of thing. Get the parts, 
put your car together in the same sense. You know, you want to have a lot of guns and combat and basically the same thing, just smaller and easier to use and a little bit more player friendly. But yeah, very much along the same lines. All right. I'm good to know that my, I didn't have a, you know how usually I'm like, oh, this sounds like this game and that game mashed together. I don't have a second one, but cross out was nah. the closest thing I could think of. <laughs> and, and to be fair, it was pretty close. So I think you were right on the money with that one. So I, you know, people check it out. If you got kids, I think it would be a great uh, game for kids. Also keep your eye out for trail. I think it's trail breakers, which is another one I'm really interested in for the same reasons. Um, but still enjoying this one. I do want to finish it, but I got to say, if I don't unlock this parts vacuum thing soon, I may quit because I'm getting kind of frustrated not being able to pick up parts. And I have been stranded without wheels one too many times. And I just get really <laughs> frustrated about that. So we shall see. We shall see. But I think that's it. Um, any final thoughts or questions or anything at all before we wrap up, Corey? I don't think so. All right. That brings us to the end of the show. Uh, that's it for now. But in the meantime, please remember. Well, first, thanks for listening, by the way. Thank you very much for listening. And also, please remember that you can send us comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else to so video games podcast at gmail.com you can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com when the show gets posted there we are also on twitter uh as a collective at so video at so video games excuse me uh but you can also reach us individually uh we are both on twitter and instagram with the same handles my handle my name brad galloway b-r-a-d-g-a-l-l-a-w-a-y all a's no o's Corey, where can they find you they can find me at Corey Motley. Also, my first and last name it is C O R E Y M O T L E Y. And that'll do it for this episode of So Video Games. We will be back next week with another installment. Thanks again for listening. And for now, this is Bye from Brad. And Bye from Corey. We will see you guys next time. Okay, so here we are doing banter. I have three separate and totally unconnected banter topics. What do you got? What do you got today? How I, many do you got? I literally only have like one thing. As usual, last night I was doing that thing where I'm like racking my brain trying to think of some stuff to talk about. But this week, like I kid you not, this week has been like the most boring week of my life. It was just like a very standard like, oh, let's get to work. Let's get through this week. Let's not do anything too exciting. I mean, I, I solved like one... I, I, like, smartly solved a thing at work that I was really proud of the other day, which is actually a summer project I've been working on all summer, obviously, because it's a summer project. But it's, like, something that's not really, like, talkable about on the show, because if I talked about it, it would be, like, really fucking boring, because it's about, like, analytics and reporting for housing incidents on campus, and it's, like, really stupid. But I solved it, and I feel good about that, but that's not my actual banter topic but because i only have one and you have three do you want to go first we can kind of bounce back and forth a little bit no you go ahead man you already started what's your let's do yours and i'll roll mine out and then we'll just move on with the show well so that was was like a point the point five banter that was good what's your what's your actual five okay my actual banter is that i have made a kind of um responsible adult decision about something i want to do in the near future Oh, dear. Getting bored. Okay, go ahead. No, this is... I think this is good. Um, This is better than me talking about housing incident reports at work. Um, I decided that I want to seriously um, apply, or I don't even know what the right word for it is, but I want to try to get 
uh, I try to publish a book of my photography, I guess is the easiest way to go about um, talking about this. And I decided that I want to, because I've been, okay, so I've been listening to, I've talked about this on the show before, I've been listening to another podcast, I've been cheating on our podcast with another podcast um, <laughs> called The Emma Guns Show, and I've talked about this before, it's like a British lady, yeah, yeah, she yeah. does a lot of like health and beauty and lifestyle stuff and dieting and whatever, I don't listen to all of her shows, I just kind of pick and choose like which guests I think are interesting, and usually I'm not one to fall for like like, oh, inspirational advice. Cause I, I'm just like, I'm too cynical for that kind of stuff. And usually I just roll my eyes whenever like really, really successful people go on podcasts and try to talk to people who like aren't successful about being successful. Maybe that's why I'm not successful, but I just like, I tend to roll my eyes at stuff like that. But um, she was talking to somebody the other day on her podcast and had made a really interesting, or I thought it was an interesting point about how um, and I can't even remember who this was about because she was like talking to a woman, but the story was about a different woman who wasn't on the show. But she had said that I think it was like a New Year's, some kind of New Year's resolution or something for one of her friends was to try not to try to succeed at a bunch of stuff, but to try to get rejected for a bunch of stuff, like maybe like work proposals or stuff she wanted to do or careers because she, I mean, it's kind of sad. This kind of sounds sad now that I'm explaining it, but she's like, instead of setting her sights on maybe unrealistic, like I want to apply for all these things and then get granted all these things, she sort of set her sights more realistically thinking, I want to get rejected for a bunch of stuff this year because at least, at the very least, that means that I'm putting myself out there and I'm trying to, um, you know, I'm at least putting my foot in the right direction to try to like apply for things or try to, pitch things. And then even if I get rejected, that means, hey, I was actually able to put myself out there in the first place. And that's sort of like the problem that I'm trying to get past is like that initial barrier of, you know, putting yourself out there. And I mean, I thought that was kind of a really interesting thing. So I had decided, and I've been thinking for a while about trying to do a photo book, but I've never like really researched it. Or if I've decided if I wanted to self-publish or, you know, cause I don't really know anything about publishing houses or anything like that. I mean, I know they exist, but I don't know how, you know, you just like send an email to somebody and you're like, Hey, I want to write this book. Here's my idea. And then they're like, okay, here's an editor and a thousand dollars right away. Or like, I have no idea. I mean, I guess you've published books, so I can pick your brain about this a little bit, but totally. And I can tell you that is 1000% not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. Um, but I, I, th I'm thinking about doing a, I mean, you might think knowing my background in, uh, in portraiture or in photography as a whole, and by you, I mean, anybody listening to the show, that like, yeah, I want to publish some like kick-ass action, like skateboarding book or parkour book. But honestly, I don't think, um, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. So I think what I'm more interested in doing now, and hey, even if I get rejected for this, like I'm totally fine with that and my life will move on exactly the same way it is now. Um, but I think it's more important for me to try and fail than not try at all is I want to do a, uh, just a portraiture book, a studio portraiture book, um, and I want it to be basically like something I don't want. I don't want it to be taken seriously because it's basically going to be a book of like portraits of hot dudes because it's like usually what I photograph. And I chose. I have a publishing house right now in mind, although I have no idea if they're going to go with it. I haven't applied or anything for them. But the publishing house that I'm that I'm researching is called Andrews McMeal Publishing or Andrews McMeal Universal, I think is their official name. They're based out of Kansas City, which is cool because I grew up outside of Kansas City. Uh, not that that has anything to do with anything, but the reason I'm looking them up is because they are the ones that publish that series of books that were like 
hot guys with cats, hot guys with chicks, and it's, like, birds on their shoulders. So they have, like, a little series of books that are, like, these silly, like, you find them in, like, Urban Outfitters, like, on the table when you walk in, where it's just, like, a little, like, 40-page, small little hardback book of, like, silly pictures of, like, hot dudes holding cats or hot dudes with dogs or, like, whatever. Like, there's, like, four or five of them. And so I thought, okay, well, like, maybe this is a good end for me because, like, I kind of, I mean, obviously I don't have, like, the cat hook on my pictures. I mean, I could if I had photographed, like, every dude that comes in my house with one of my cats, but I haven't. Um, But I thought, hey, maybe this is a good place to start. So I looked up their publishing info. Um, I actually have it open in a tab on my computer right now about, like, you have to send them, like, a cover letter and you have to talk about, like, you and your background and your book idea and why you're the right person to write the book. And you have to send, I mean, this is for a book book. Like, they don't have a submission guideline for a photo only book but i'm sure it's roughly the same they want you to send like you know an excerpt of the book like a a few chapters or something like that they stress on the website that you don't have to send like the entire book to them because i'm sure that their hands are full and they don't want to like be reading you know an entire book that might be terrible every week to see if this person should get published or not um so I, that's basically something I'm going to do. Uh, I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks I can kind of get my shit together and maybe, um, you know, write uh, sort of like a cover letter for them, maybe get um, some photos together and just send them like a drive link of folders and just say, hey, I'm interested in doing, you know, a studio portraiture book. Um, you know, maybe here's what I want to call it. Here's why I think I'm the right person to do it. Here's why I think you're the right publisher for it because you've published books like this before and maybe it would be good to add to your portfolio as well as mine. Um and then just kind of see what happens. And if they say, this idea sucks, we don't want to do it, then, you know, whatever. That means at least I put myself out there in the first place. And, you know, my life will proceed exactly as normal before. I will just have more experience accepting rejection from publishers, which I currently have zero experience on that. So that's sort of like my next, like, adult goal right now is to try to get a book, uh, a photography book published. Um but I haven't taken any steps beyond researching a single publishing house on how to do it yet. Um, but you, I know, like, obviously me doing a photo book is different than you because you've written, like, actual books. But um, if you have any ideas or any input or any, like, insider info about how your, like, publishing thing came about, I'm definitely all ears. And maybe people listening would be interested to hear it, too. Yeah, of course, man. Absolutely happy to always talk about that stuff. But I think you're, I mean, you're a smart guy, and I think you've basically figured it out on your own. Because I was <laughs> formerly in your own position before. Like, I was like, oh, I don't know jack shit about anything, but I want to write a book, and I want somebody to publish it, and that's that's what I'm going to do. And I did the exact same steps that you did, which I think are totally the right steps. Like, you look for people who are publishing the kind of material that you want to put out. Uh, and so just research them and then you go to the websites and almost every publisher has submission guidelines. Um, some of them will only accept submissions if you have an agent, um, which is really tough. So those are like the bigger houses and getting an agent before you get published is really tough. But sometimes you can't get published without an agent. It's that total fucking catch 22 of oh, God. you need to have experience to get hired, but you can't get hired without experience uh, kind of thing. Yeah, that, that happens a lot. So I would say just heads up that might happen a few times. And if you see somebody saying we only accept submissions from agents. Um, you might, I mean, so like, okay, so there's, you can submit directly to smaller houses and that's totally fine and respectable and doable. And I've done that myself. Um, the other thing you can do is trying to submit to agents. You might want to try to find an agent who likes your work and will, will rep you to other places. So that is a whole other separate Mm. type of submission, uh, which is honestly a little bit more demoralizing than just the publisher because (laughs) you will more often get someone personally saying, I don't like what you do, or this is not good enough, or this is not for me, or this looks really great, but I don't like it. That kind of a thing. It's funny you bring this up 
because I was actually in my storage unit the other day. We we're kind of um, downsizing on the road to Tiny Houseville, uh, and I came across my old, <clears throat> the very first manuscript I ever typed out, which was like, I'm like, oh my god, I didn't realize this had this. And along with that first manuscript was my folder full of rejection slips. Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> I had a folder full of them. I got rejected so many times. <laughs> um, so I would also tell you as a heads up, you're going to get rejected a billion times. It happens to everybody. But okay, so like think of it this way, though. So, okay, so me being the editor of GameCritics.com. Me being the editor is kind of the same thing as somebody being a publisher. And so people will approach me via email. I literally, like literally not even joking, I get probably at least 200 emails a day, if not more, of people who have a game and want me to look at it and want me to review it and want me to give them a preview or want me to do an interview. I, okay, so like even if I liked all of these games, I literally don't have enough time in the day. It is literally 10,000 times worse for a publisher um, because when I've talked to publishers who actually are human and will talk to me and, you know, and doing research on it, I mean, they get... So many proposals a day. Like, I'm sure they would love to get only 200 a day. I mean, I'm sure, you know, they get like a thousand. They need a staff to go through the proposals, right? So, like, already you're like one out of like a thousand or five thousand or ten thousand. So, on top of that, you have to take into consideration that these people who are filtering the email, like me, the editor, or someone who's a publisher, well, are they having a good day? Are they tired? Did they have their coffee that day? What are they in the mood for that day? Did they just see. 10 really shitty proposals for a photo book and maybe yours is amazing but because they just got through 10 they just don't want to see anymore today and you unluckily got to be the 11th one and so you got deleted without even getting read there's so many things that can happen to a proposal that just you know there's so many good things so many good things out there that just don't get published because they just don't catch that lucky break or because they don't manage to like rise above the chaff right and it's not like it's a, a value judgment it's not saying that you know anybody good enough will automatically make it i don't think that's true i think the people who make it are the people who don't give up and i've heard that advice many times that is also advice i would give to anybody especially to you be ready to be rejected a thousand times that will happen guaranteed but the way that you make it is by not giving up. Like, you just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And eventually, the law of averages kicks in. And as long as you're putting out decent material... And I've seen your photos. Your photos are amazing. So I'm not even worried about the quality of your photos. But, like, you know, you just have to look for that, like, that lucky break where someone is in a good mood. They've just had their coffee. They're just talked to somebody in the lobby. And they're thinking that, oh, maybe a photo book today would be a good thing to look at. And then, <laughs> oh, hey, what's this email? I was just thinking about, oh, Corey Motley. This sounds like a nice guy. Okay, boom. Email. Like, that's that's how it happens, dude. Like, literally. Um so that's how the publishing side goes. Now you can you can game that system by getting an agent because if you get an agent, that's like having a friend. That's like so that's like if somebody that I'm friends with, like personally, will say, "Oh, Brad, check out this game. I just played this game. It's dope." Okay, guaranteed, I'm gonna look at it. I guarantee you. If somebody I trust and respect says this game is good, I may I may not like it. I may not want to play it. I may not review it, but I guarantee I will look at it. And so that that's kind of what an agent is. Like the agents have really good relationships with the publishers. And so if you get a good agent and the good agent likes you and they rep you and they remember who you are and they go to bat for you, that will like put you way at the top of the pack. So it's worth it to have an agent, but it's really hard to find an agent. you got to find somebody who really likes you, who sees a lot of potential in you, who feels like they can make a lot of money off you, which is just a thing. It's not bad. I mean, that's just how the system works. Um, not really personal. So that can help a lot, too. So maybe do those things. And also, I think what you're already doing is great. Um, just look for publishers that do your own thing. But I think also the thing that you can do for yourself right now is to really polish what you're doing. Get a very good idea of what you're doing. Look at what's out there. Are there already a dozen other 
you know, calendars that have parkour guys? Is there a niche that you can fill that nobody else is filling? If you can find a little niche for yourself, you are definitely ahead of the game that way, too. Because if you're putting out something that 15,000 other people are already putting out, I mean, okay, maybe. But, like, if you can find something that is not being served, if you can find, you know, like the guys with cats thing. That was brilliant, dude. I don't give a <laughs> shit about guys with cats, but people went ape shit over that. That was, like, an enormous win because that was a niche that wasn't being served. You know, sexy guys with puppies or sexy guys with slices of cheese or whatever the fuck it is, (laughs) you know, if you can find your own thing. Now, I think the parkour thing is cool. I think you take amazing pictures and I think like your lighting and stuff is great. So like keep polishing your material and get a really, really strong um, portfolio together. And I think that will help you both with the publishers and with an agent, too. So uh, so all that stuff. I think you're on the right track. You got a number one, like number one best advice, though. Be ready for people to say no a thousand times and just don't let it bother you and keep going forward because people who get like that first one or two no's and quit, those guys are never going to get published ever, guaranteed. And I would have never gotten published either and I've been published twice. So you have to just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and it's going to feel fucking hopeless and you're going to feel depressed (laughs) and you're going to feel like, why the fuck am I even doing this? This fucking sucks. I hate everybody. I hate myself. I hate the cameras. I hate pictures. I hate parkour. But you got to just keep going and then eventually you will make it. All right, well, the good news is that I am ready to be rejected. The other good news is that, like, publishing a photo book isn't something I'm, like, this isn't, like, me being, like, oh, I want to quit my job and make photo books for the rest of my life. Like, it's the stakes are not high for this at all. So even if I get rejected, um, like, that's fine because I'm not, like, banking on making photo books for the rest of my life to, like, live or, like, earn money and stuff. So I think because the this is just kind of, like, a little novel side project I want to do and it's not something... Like, I'm not hoping that this is going to, like, get me out of my job and I'm going to be able to, you know, quit my job and do whatever, um, that that makes it a little bit better for me. So that's good advice, though. I will keep that all in mind. And I'll probably, I should probably look up some other publishing companies, too, instead of just this one and see who else is making stuff like this and uh, and go <laughs> forward fearlessly in my cover letter writing. Yeah, man, cast your net far and wide. I guarantee if you go with one publisher, you're going to get one rejection, and that's going to be the end of the road. It's got to be, like, a lot of people. Like, just Google search, like, what what's Google selling? Or, I mean, Amazon, what's, what are they selling? Like, look look at, you know, links and ads and just click and just see who's out there. Because even though you might find a couple of bigger publishers right off the bat, I guarantee there's a lot of smaller publishers. And even, you know, you may even want to branch out into, like, um, into gay publishers. Because I have a, a friend of mine who is a gay author, and he was um, writing gay books and i don't say that as like a, a, a negative i mean he i mean it's like a it's a genre like publishers look for like they look yeah. for yeah very gay specific things and he was extremely successful in the gay genre after a while he got kind of sick of being pigeonholed he wanted to do something else which i totally understand but like you can you can super refine your focus to like oh who's publishing gay books and like what kind of gay books are not out there or you know i mean i guarantee like with the photos you take you, you might have a lot more people taking a second look at your portfolio than if you had sent it to like a regular publishing house. So, I mean, that might be something that you can really get super specific about. So maybe keep that in mind also. And I think you are entirely correct on keeping this as a side project, because if I had been like, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to be a writer, I would have fucking starved to death. (laughs) My entire family would have died. They would have found three skeletons emaciated in my house because I never would have sold a fucking book. Uh, yeah, do it for fun. Do it because you want to. If it goes somewhere, that's amazing. But, I mean, just do it because you want to do it for your own self. Don't do it for profit. Otherwise, you will be very disappointed. Not to say that people don't find success. They do. But, like, what you're basically saying, if you want to, like, quit your job and do this, is like, hey, I'm going to step out uh, to the middle of Dodger Stadium, and I'm going to hit 
a home run from a professional pitcher, and I've never played baseball a day in my life. But I'm going to do it right now. That's kind of like what you're saying, which is insane. So I'm glad that you have that improper perspective of, like, don't quit your job. Don't pin everything on this. Keep it going. Like, don't let it go and support it and nurture it. But, like, don't don't set yourself up for failure like that, you know. And it sounds like you've already got that figured out. So I, you're a smart guy, dude. I knew you got it. I'm a smart guy. You are a smart guy. <laughs> if you weren't a smart guy, we wouldn't be doing this podcast, dude. That is true, I think. That's very true. That's a guarantee for me to you. <laughs> All right. Well, that's um, that's all I have. Uh, boring week, but I did decide that publishing is something that I'm interested in pursuing to look at books and stuff. But you've got a few things uh, on tap to talk about. What do you want to talk about first? A um, couple things. So I guess first off, I uh, went to the Renaissance Fair yesterday. Have you ever been to the Renaissance Fair, Corey? Uh, I have. Back whenever I lived in Missouri, there was one, I think it was in Independence, Missouri, every year. And I went consistently for about four or five years but probably stopped when i was about 14 or 15 so it's been a very long time since i've been but i did used to go whenever i was younger okay cool so we have some experience and hey maybe you should go and do some photos at the local renaissance fair in uh (laughs) in new orleans although i guess it's probably like renaissance slash vampire fair probably i would guess but anyway uh we went yesterday to the midsummer renaissance fair which is here in washington it's about 45 minutes away it's a smaller fair i mean it's not huge I've, i know that some places are really big and it's like a big event this is a smaller one but it's totally fine uh you know it has the usual kind of everybody dressed up in medieval clothing everybody saying they're these and thous and lots of medieval stuff on sale everybody making ten thousand different leather with buckle and strap doodads and all sorts of fake weapons some real weapons and all sorts of stuff you can do. I posted some pictures on Twitter and also on Instagram if anybody wants to see. But uh, we went. It was a good time. Really roasty hot, but we still had fun. My son did some archery and he did axe throwing, which is really fun. And he's got me uh, saying that I need to go to buy him an axe and a piece of wood so we can continue <laughs> axe throwing here at home. So we're going to be doing some axe throwing here in the front yard. Uh, we did some trebuchet have you ever seen a trebuchet in real life Corey? Mm, i have yeah all right cool so they had a trebuchet set up there and he got to do that a few times and it was really funny because the guy right the kid the kid right before us was like maybe 12 total fucking like renaissance nerd like hardcore nerd you could just tell because everything he was saying was just like factoid 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 and i'm sure he knew his shit like i have no doubt because when you're that age and you're a nerd you know your shit inside and out like you cannot you, you, those guys know it, like, because they got nothing else to do with their life, right? So, this the guy was running the trebuchet and he was firing it, and like they were launching water balloons, and like half of the time they would launch, and half the time they would like explode <laughs> in midair. And the people who were buying tickets were kind of getting salty because they're like, "Dude, I paid, I paid money to like launch this thing, and it blew up before it even launched. What the fuck?" So the the nerdy kid ahead of us, and I don't say that as a negative. I mean, I think being a nerd is cool. So please don't think I'm looking down on him at all. I'm a nerd myself, so. Uh, he gets up there and he's like, he literally like launches into this spiel and he's telling the guy running the trebuchet, like about what's going on with the trebuchet. And the guy's like, whatever kid. And so he like totally like looks at them, the, the mechanism and he cut, he adjusts a few things. Like he adjusts like one of the ropes or whatever. And then he gets like the little sling. I, I'm sorry. I should have said this before for people that don't know what a trebuchet is. It's like a catapult <laughs> except for, uh, it's got a slightly different operation mechanism. It's kind of like a multi-axle weird sort of a weight goes down and a stick goes up and then that launches a sling it's really kind of hard to describe but basically just imagine a weird funky catapult and that's what it is i apologize when i explained that earlier um 
so the kid gets up there and he starts telling the guy about the trebuchet and the guy's like, whatever, whatever. And so he, the kid gets in, he starts adjusting some of the ropes and he like moves some things around and then he puts the water balloon in the sling and the guy's about to launch. He's like, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. And like the guy's like, okay, well, sure. Show me what you want me to do then. So the kid goes over and he adjusts the sling, you know, tightens some things up, launches the thing, fucking like completely nails the target dead fucking oh center. I'm like, oh my God, you totally got schooled on your trebuchet, motherfucker. <laughs> this kid came up here out of the crowd and he fucking told you what to do. He got two fucking complete bullseyes in a row. I was like, oh my God, I want this kid on my team when we go storming the castle. This kid knows his shit. Fucking nerd power, baby. He got that shit taken care of. So that was amazing. That was really super fun. Um, also, my favorite part of the whole event is always the um, the mock battles that they do. So people with like these really ornate armors and horses and stuff get up in this field and they do... Uh, you know, combat, like one-on-one combat. They do group combat. They do a lot of horse stuff where they spear stuff with spears on horseback and they throw spears and they do like jousting and stuff. And there's this one guy who's been there a couple years. We've gone a couple years in a row. This guy, he totally, I, I, oh, I was so mad I couldn't get a picture of it. He was totally cosplaying Geralt from The Witcher and he looked one fucking thousand percent like him. He was an older white guy, but he had the beard. He had the long hair. The hair was the right color. He had the right build. He had the right kind of like brownish leather that Garrett wears. He had the two swords on his back, the silver and the steel sword. I was like, oh my God, that looks so fucking amazing. I could not get a picture of him because he kept moving and he was on horseback. And like every time I tried to get, I oh, mad I couldn't get a picture. But anyway, he looked amazing. That is really fun. They had some um, like flails and uh, Zweihander swords and different, you know, different uh, shields and people. I mean, it was men and women both, which I think is also really cool about this uh, gathering. Men and women both are on horseback and also on the ground fighting. Really, really cool. And then when we got to the jousting, something went wrong because they were um, they were jousting. And usually they do these little glancing blows on the shield and no big deal. But something happened where the one guy caught this lady wrong. And it totally, like, I could see it when they were riding. Like, she hit or she got hit, like, really strong. And her arm kind of, like, went, like, pushed out really hard really quickly. She dropped her shield and her lance. And then she kind of rode off, like, you know, like, she was kind of like, I'm okay, I'm okay. But, like, she couldn't move her arm, and they had to, like, take her off of her horse. And she, like, went, I think she actually got pretty hurt when she got hit by the lance, which was really mm. not great. And it, ironically, like, immediately after that, they went to the ground combat to move on to the next event. And when they were wrestling around, uh, this, they were, you know, kind of mock battling. Nobody's actually getting hit, but, like, one guy pretends to, like, whack somebody with a sword. The guy goes down, and the guy go, that's on the ground is pretending to do, like, a kick. I think he like literally kicked the guy in the balls and the guy, <laughs> the guy, guy kind of like, he was like, Whoa! and he kind of, he finished his battle, but then he was like staggering off the field. So even though it's mock battle and even though it's pretend, I think people still actually do get hurt at these things, uh, which is too bad. I don't want anybody to get hurt, but very cool. Otherwise we finished off the day with the traditional medieval corn dog and medieval shaved ice, which is always a delicious treat. And it was a very fun time. I thought you were going to say medieval giant ass turkey leg because that's a thing there, right? Oh, yeah, dude. The turkey leg line is always 85,000 people long. And I've never <laughs> I've never wanted a turkey leg that bad. It looks good and I want to try it. I just can't get through the line. It's it's honestly too long to get through. I, might, might, I would never be patient enough to get through it. But yeah, there is the turkey leg, though. So that was medieval Renaissance fair. Good times, good times. And like I said, there's pictures up on Instagram and Twitter. There's actually more, much more pictures on Instagram, like double the pictures on Instagram. If you want to check that out. Um, other than that real quick. Oh, okay. So I mentioned earlier that I saw the movie Colossal. Did you by any chance get a chance to see that or have you seen it, Corey? 
I have not seen it. I know what it is because I've seen the trailer for it about 600 times, but I have not seen the actual movie. Okay, so Colossal, uh, starring Anne Hathaway and a couple other dudes who I don't know who they are, but I recognize them <laughs> from other things. Sorry, sorry, the actors. I know who you are, but I just don't know who you are. Uh, so, yeah, this was a very bizarre movie. We were in the mood for like a family movie, and we like big monsters and kaiju and the, from the trailer it looked like it was going to be kind of a lighthearted. i mean would you agree from the trailer it seems like more of kind of like a lighthearted film yeah it looks like a like a silly kind of take on godzilla exactly like it looks like a goofy the premise of the movie from the trailer is somehow anne hathaway is a white lady living in america and there's this giant monster which is crushing south korea it's attacking the city and for some reason the motions, like the physical motions that Anne Hathaway does, is exactly what the monster does. So, like, she's mimicking her motions, and it takes her a little while to figure this out, but then she realizes that's what's going on. And so, like, she'll, like, move her arm, and the monster will move its arm and smash a building, or she'll, like, walk forward, and the monster will walk forward and smash people on the ground or something. So, from the trailer, it looks like a goofy, funny movie. Okay, super not funny, <laughs> not goofy. It is, like, a dark, heavy film which is kind of like a parallel with abusive relationships and alcoholism, oh, which no. I was 100% not ready for. So the family gets together on the couch. We're all, we're getting ready for some goofy Anne Hathaway monster smashing. And it starts out and she's like getting drunk and she gets kicked out of her house and her boyfriend leaves her and she goes back home as a failure. She starts drinking again. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? Like, when is, <laughs> when is the monster going to show up? Jesus Christ. Like, I'm getting kind of nervous. Like, I don't really want to, like, talk about these issues with my son. And I'm like, okay, but he's witnessing them because we're sitting here because we thought this was going to be a goofy movie. Eventually, the monster shows up. And eventually, it does get kind of, I mean, there's a couple yucks, but it's not a comedy by any means. And then it just gets darker and darker because this guy who she meets as she is in her hometown ends up being, like, this really, like, hyper-abusive asshole and I'm like, oh, my God, like we're like we're watching this like alcoholic rebound relationship with physical abuse and mental abuse like happen on screen. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. OK, not the movie I expected. So um, it was actually it was actually really good, not appropriate for kids. And I really wish that they had cut that trailer a different way, because if I'd known it was that dark, I never would have watched it with my son. That was um, not cool of the people who made that trailer. But overall, I mean, it was a very interesting movie, and I would say it was actually more of a magical realism movie than an actual, like, kaiju movie, because just of how her relationship to the monster works, and eventually, like, what that means, and the parallels with real life and stuff, it's definitely more of a magical realism thing, which is fine. I just kind of know that going into it, and I think that kind of along with that genre, you have to expect you're not going to get much hardcore explanation or not, you know, some things you just have to be like, okay, that's the way it is, and just move on, like, you're not going to... They're not going to reveal all the mysteries of the universe in that film, right? So as long as you're okay with that, it's fine. And I do recommend it. It was very interesting, very unusual. I liked it. Uh, but do not be fooled by that trailer. It is not a fucking family-friendly film. It is not nearly as funny as they make it look like it's going to be. Hmm. I have discovered in my time that a, a movie trailer not reflecting what the actual movie is can either be the best thing in the world or it can be the worst thing in the world. And the thing that I'm th the movie that I'm thinking of immediately when I think about this weird marketing versus what the actual thing is is the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling that's like one of my favorite movies of all time but if you watch the trailer for that movie it looks like kind of closer to I mean I'm not gonna say Fast and the Furious because it's not like 
I mean, the movie trailer is not like Ryan Gosling, like spinning out, shooting guns in the air and, you know, like fighting dudes. But like the trailer makes it look like much more of an action movie than it actually is. But the actual film is more of like a slow paced, like slow burn, contemplative, um, really starts somewhere quiet and very slowly crescendos into like the stakes getting a lot higher there being a lot more violence toward the end and things getting like really out of hand, almost like a nightmare, like a, like a dream that starts so well. And then it just very slowly like spirals into this like high stakes nightmare. Like that's something that's the first movie I can think of that, um, that kind of did that. But the good news is that I didn't really go into the movie expecting it to be like a shoot up action film. And it ended up being one of my favorite movies of all time. So that's kind of a nice thing, but it is fucking bizarre whenever you see when something is marketed as one thing and then it is completely this other thing. And I mean, on one hand, you feel like you're totally gypped if you don't like the thing. But then if you end up liking it, you're like, OK, well, I guess like maybe if the movie because I mean, how many people would go see um, Colossal if it had been marketed as like a movie that covers like domestic abuse and serious issues and alcoholism? I mean, I'm sure it would have had its target audience, but it's kind of fascinating to think that like. I mean, I, I don't think this movie... I think this movie was critically successful. I don't remember it being, like, financially successful because it's kind of a smaller indie movie, I mean, in the scale of things. So if they had marketed it as this sort of, like, dark, you know, maybe dark comedy um, about those issues, it probably, like, half the people probably would have uh, have seen it than who actually did. Yeah, it was weird. I don't know why they decided to do that. And I definitely hear you about, like, having some movies be not exactly representative of what you see in the trailer. And I think that sometimes that's okay. Um, and I definitely, I like when you get surprised, because I hate, I mean, I know some people, uh, okay, let me back this up again. I'm constantly backing <laughs> things up, constantly backing things up. I should be like a dancer on stage, because I'm constantly backing things up. Um, that was bad. Sorry, I apologize for that. Um <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, I, okay, so where am I going with this? I think that I hate, so people say that if you are spoiled on something, that you actually like it more. I disagree with that. I hate spoilers. I hate being spoiled. I like going into a movie uh, cold and not knowing what's coming. Like, for example, like, you know, The Usual Suspects is one of the most often cited examples or that or like, um, what was that movie with uh, Bruce Willis and uh, the kid, the ghost story? What was that movie called? Uh, oh, I wanted to say uh, Sixth Sense. Six, That's it. Sixth Sense. Okay, so like I went into both of those movies not knowing anything about them, and I really appreciated when I got to like the twist, and I didn't know what that was. And if I had known what those twists would have been before seeing those movies, it would have really ruined the experience for me. It would have, I would have still enjoyed the movie, but it would have been a very different experience. And I like, I like going back to a movie after you know and kind of seeing what's different about the movie like maybe you see some clues you didn't notice the first time and you kind of see things in a different way which is great but also that's built on the basis of not knowing what it was originally so you get that original experience um i want to have that original experience i don't want that taken away from me um so following that i really like it when a trailer does not tell you everything about the movie like i don't i don't mind if they don't show everything if they don't reveal everything that's fine and i think that's that's totally okay but the thing that is weird, is especially about Colossal and about a few other a few other movies, but mostly about Colossal because I'm thinking about it now, is that it wasn't just that they didn't show you some secret things about the movie. Like they didn't reveal the fact that, oh, that there's this guy who shows up or they didn't reveal the fact that, oh, this thing's going to happen. It was totally cut to be like comedy. 
And that movie is just not even comedy. Like, they totally <laughs> made it look like it's in a, a completely different genre, which to me is just like, um, you're. I mean, deceptive. Like, I feel like it's really deceptive because I took, you know, I took my, my kid to see this. I didn't take him, but, you know, we watched it at home thinking that this was going to be based on the trailer appropriate. We laughed during the trailer. It looked goofy and funny. And it was 1,000% not. So I feel like really deceived by that. I mean, I think also a similar uh, experience I had with that was I Kill Giants. Did we talk about that movie on the podcast? Uh, Not that I remember. Have you seen it? I don't even know what this is. Okay, so there's a very famous... Well, okay, okay. Not very famous, but famous, (laughs) I guess, if you're in comic book circles of a, a graphic novel that was called I Kill Giants and it was about a little girl who's like a nerd outcast girl in a new city and she has no friends and she's kind of a loner but she pretends or okay, she doesn't pretend but she like defends the town from giants that that come and nobody can see them but her and so people think she's crazy but she's like actually killing these giants that are like trying to destroy the town cool graphic novel with a lot of um, cool messaging in it like I really, I really I read it a couple years ago I thought it was great the movie came out and I had no idea they are making a movie, but the movie was actually really good as well. Very good movie. But again, it's a trailer that's really cut differently because when you watch the trailer, it looks like it's going to be lighthearted, kids, adventure. Oh, look, there's monsters. There's going to be some whacking with weapons. But the movie itself, and I knew this beforehand from reading the book, is really about like loneliness and it's about death and it's about, you know, how do you deal with hard things in your life that you don't want to face and... How do you, you know, deal with not having any friends and being alone? And I mean, it's a great movie and really heavy. But again, the trailer, if I hadn't known that, I would have thought, oh, this is looks like uh, another Harry Potter movie and it looks yeah. really fun and I'm going to watch one of these. But super, super heavy and down. So I really I really kind of I, I take issue with, with trailers that really misrepresent what the actual movie is. Don't give me the secrets. Don't show me all the best parts of the movie. Don't show me the best lines of the movie. Keep some stuff secret, but but tell me what genre it's in. Don't <laughs> don't tell me it's a comedy if it's not a fucking comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I uh, that's a sentiment I think I can get on board with. All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, just one last little thing I want to throw out here, um, real briefly. So, um, do you listen to a lot of music, Corey? I do. Okay, I don't listen to very much music, almost no music at all, because I really cherish silence. Um, <laughs> it's hard to find silence. <laughs> And not just because I'm a parent. I mean, I've always really enjoyed silence. Like, even when I was younger, when I was single, you know, I would very often just, like, be in a very quiet place. Um, And part of that reason is because I find it really hard to write when noise is going on. I know some people, like, oh, I can't study without my tunes, or I can't get any work done without music going on. And if that works for you, that's fine. (laughs) My wife is very much like that. She likes to have the background music. I cannot work like that. I need, like, dead silence when I'm writing. And if I'm doing anything creative, I need, like, silence. Like, it just, the noise bugs me. But I do like music. It's not like I'm anti-music. And um, every once in a while, I will like want to just get into some music and do something. So one thing that I like to do, and let me and tell me if you've ever done this or if this is a thing that's occurred to you. When I listen to music, um, I, I tend to like really get into like certain artists, and I'll be like, oh, I really like this artist stuff, and I really want to find out like what they're about and who they are and where they're from, and what their like musical journey is. Like I don't really care about their personal life, but like. If they put out, like, three albums, I'll be like, oh, okay, well, what was their first album like, and how is that different from the second, and how is that different from the third? And if this is the popular single from the new album, what is what is not popular on the album? What is not being played on the radio or not being streamed or downloaded or whatever? Um, and so, like, I kind of like digging into it like that. And I'm a big fan of uh, Queen. Do you like Queen, Corey? Uh, I mean, I don't really listen to Queen, but I certainly respect everything they've done for the multiple music genres that they have both influenced and created. 
Yeah, pretty amazing band. I've liked them for a really long time, and uh, they're gonna probably you're gonna be hearing probably a lot more of them because there's a Freddie Mercury uh, movie coming up, and I mean a lot of people are gonna be coming out of the woodwork saying, "Oh, they're Queen fans from back in the day," blah blah blah, whatever. <laughs> That's gonna be coming soon. Um, but I saw one of those commercials, and I was like, "Oh, you know, I haven't listened to a Queen album in a long time. I should probably listen to one." And I had actually never listened to um, Night at the Opera, which is one of their most famous. Uh, most famous uh, records. I have many of the records, but I kind of just bought them haphazardly, like from like music stores when that when those were a thing back in the day. Uh, not really so much anymore, but I think it's really interesting to go back and just listen to a whole album. Not only like how the album is created, like what songs come first, what songs are on it, but also to compare that to like how they progress as artists. And so when I was listening to Night at the Opera, I think most people associate Queen with like Bohemian Rhapsody. Or like another one bites the dust or, or something. Fat like that. bottom girls. Fat bottom girls. Love that song. Live that song. Um, <laughs> but like, so I go back to listen to Night at the Opera, and it's just it's fascinating to hear what's on there because, you know, I think that came out in seventy five, nineteen seventy five. So I wasn't even born at that time. Um, but going back to listening to it, it's like it it does not sound like the Queen that you might expect if you had only heard their most popular songs, like. Starts out with like like kind of a typical Queen song, Freddie Mercury doing some goofy stuff, some goofy lyrics, and kind of a weird kind of back and forth syncopation. But then later on, um, there's a song that's almost like a country song that is like totally not at all representative of typical Queen. Um, one guy besides Freddie like sings a couple songs, and that's also kind of an unusual thing. Uh, there's a couple that sound just like really really generic '70s like rock ballads, which is not also associated with them. So to go back and listen to that and hear them kind of working their way through the material, trying to find their own niche, you know, like we're going to try this kind of song and how does this work? And we're going to try this kind of song and how does this work? And then comparing that with like their later years when they have a very defined, very kind of like, uh, you know, an identity and a presence at that time was really fascinating. I love doing stuff like that. I don't do it too often. I did a lot more when I was younger and had more free time, but I would recommend that to anybody who likes music and who, you know, enjoys that kind of thing. I mean, take a minute and like find an artist who you like and, 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 and enjoy and go back to their earlier stuff and see if they've changed. See if they have gone on kind of a musical journey. I kind of wonder how many artists are doing that these days. I get a sense and I'm certainly not a music person. Um, I'm not an expert by any means, but I get a sense that in the past, maybe artists were going on more of a journey like that and more of a development. And now it seems like people kind of come out one way. And they kind of stay in that lane for like a while and maybe they'll do like a career reboot and do something a little different, but they kind of seem to kind of kind of stay in the same zone. So I, I kind of would be interested to talk to people about that and see if as a trend that has changed over the years or not. But have you ever done that, Corey? Have you ever, ever took a deep dive into somebody that you really enjoy? Um, I mean, some... like musically? <laughs> ah. um, not not musically, but in other ways. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Whoa. I... Uh... I, the first person that comes to mind whenever you talk about this for me, who is maybe, I mean, I have a few musical artists who I'm like pretty like head over heels obsessed with, um, some that are still around, some that aren't. And by that, I mean, they're still alive, but just not making music anymore. Um, but the first person that comes to mind, I mean, anybody listening can roll their eyes as much as they want whenever I say this, um, but it's actually Lady Gaga because she, I mean, she often gets compared to... Uh, I've heard her been compared to Queen before and to Freddie Mercury specifically um, and like uh, David Bowie and people like that. And I think that just because she's like more of a new age artist, it kind of makes people, you know, think like, oh, well, like, who is this girl? Like, she really needs to kind of like, you know, earn her her like keep or whatever, you know, kind of like because uh, I one thing that happens in the music industry now is like people will 
um, you know, they'll, they'll come up very quickly and then they'll get like a lot of awards and it'll be like their first album. And then, you know, there's kind of an idea of like, well, these people need to like kind of prove their worth for a while before like we like throw all these awards onto people, which is something that I, I kind of agree with. I mean, I, which I think is also good. Like, you know, with like the rock and roll hall of fame, how you have to be in the music business for like, I don't know how many years it is. I can't remember, but it's like, you know, 15 or 20 years or something and be consistently putting out albums before, before you're even eligible to be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame and stuff like that. Cause that's more of like a test of time and, and worth and, you know, musical prowess kind of thing. But, um, whenever you're talking about queen, I'm thinking about lady Gaga because, um, you know, obviously, whenever people think about her, they tend to think of like, oh, this like pop star, you know, she makes these kind of like silly, uh, you know, like poker face and love game and bad romance. And like, you know, they're kind of I mean, they're like, yeah, they're kind of silly songs and they're not like super duper complicated or anything. And they're really like radio friendly and easy to listen to and catchy. Um, but she I mean, she's also an artist who has done a lot. Like if you actually listen to her albums and not just her hit singles, she's done a lot of you know, kind of genre shifting here and there, like on her very first album, The Fame, which I think is an exquisitely put together debut album um, from somebody. I mean, she has like a couple of really like low key, like singer songwriter songs, like toward the end of her album. She has a song that's um, kind of like a live band type song where it's like electric guitar. I mean, it's not like a rock song, but it's like actual guitars and drums. It's not like um, synthesizers and like, you know, um, synthesized beats and stuff like that, which is fine. Cause I like that kind of music too. And then like on her third album, fourth album, um, art pop, which is honestly probably my favorite album of hers. That's a really controversial statement to make. Cause I think a lot of people consider that her worst album. Um, every song is kind of experimental in a different way. Like she kind of like jumps genres a lot like song per song on the album like she has a lot of you know she has some like regular pop songs that you could imagine being on the radio any second but she has like she has one song that's literally just like it's like a trap like rap song and it's like she has three different rappers in it and she only sings the chorus in it and like a little bit in the bridge and so it's mostly like like an actual rap song but she just sings in it and she has a couple songs that are really like sort of like EDM, kind of like rave inspired. And whenever she uh, unveiled the first uh, few songs off the album, she played in the iTunes Music Festival in London. And whenever she played one of the more like EDM heavy songs for the first time called Swine, um, she had like people, her like dancers on stage were wearing these like jumpsuits with these gas masks, masks that were shaped like pig faces. And she was like playing the drums on stage, like this electronic drum set. And like, she had like a piano behind her and a drum set on the other side of her. And she was like playing the piano for some of the song. And then she would spin around and she would like play the drums while she was singing. And, um, and like her newest album, Joanne, which came out, I think like a year and a half ago, it's very like toned down. It's more like country, if you will. Um, it's a little more, um, you know, just like, I, I guess like softer is maybe a good word for it. Um, and I like Joanne. It's not my favorite album of hers, but she's like really kind of like shifted genres here and there without really like losing the spirit of what she wants to do. And the thing that I think is fascinating about Lady Gaga too is like, she, you know, obviously hit fame very quickly. Um, you know, she was all over the radio. You know, her music videos have, like, you know, millions and millions of views on YouTube and stuff. And she's won, like, a bunch of Grammys. And she won a Golden Globe. And her first movie role is coming up this year and all that stuff. But whenever you actually look at how she releases singles from her albums, it's pretty evident that she's not in 
the business to like, I mean, I know she probably is like a, you know, a multimillionaire, but she doesn't seem like she's in it to be a multimillionaire because she'll release an album and she'll only release like one, maybe two singles off the album, like as singles that get played on the radio. And then after that, it's like over with. And a lot of artists, they do like four or five singles, you know, cause they want to keep themselves on the radio and keep themselves relevant. And um, you know, and try to like get more fans by having lots of singles out. But for the past few albums, she's like, oh, here's my single. My album's going to be out in six months. And then the album comes out and maybe she does another single. And then she's like already moving on to working on her next album and doesn't really like try to keep putting her music out there, which I think is really interesting. And I think it's interesting that she like that her like record label kind of lets her get away with that. I mean, she's definitely earned her keep at this point to like kind of dictate the way she wants to do business, but she just does things slightly different than a lot of uh, artists that are trying to come, come up now. But I mean, she's also has been really successful. So it's hard to, you know, knock her like she doesn't know what she's doing, but I don't know. That's just, I was saying about her whenever you're talking about queen, because she kind of does the same thing about like genre bending and going back and forth and working with a lot of different producers and, you know, has had her successful albums and has had her not so successful albums. And um, yeah, she's definitely one of my favorite musical artists, though, because she seems like shallow on the surface, but she's actually like incredibly smart and creative and thinks about herself like as an entire brand, as to say, rather than just like the music she's putting out, like she definitely has her whole her whole image together rather than just being a musician. Like she's so much more than that. Right. Interesting. I don't know much about her because I don't listen to her very much. But then again, I mean, I don't listen to much music in general. So, I mean, I'm, I'm catching up with like 1975. So I'm a little bit behind the curve right now. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like she she is somebody worthy of doing that deep dive and kind of doing that examination. So that is interesting uh, to hear you talk about that. I will, I will have to look into her. I think my wife likes her, I'm pretty sure. So I should probably do some some poking around. But <laughs> I think it's always worth doing, um, regardless of whatever the artist, artist is, just to kind of see where they are and what what they're thinking and what they're doing and where they're going next. I, th I always think that's really interesting. And I, I really appreciate um, hearing some experimental things, like kind of like what you're saying about Lady Gaga, maybe, you know, switching back and forth between genres or different producers or doing different things. That's always great. I, I just, I love to hear people really reach out like that. And uh, yeah, good on her. Um, so there we go. Uh, I think that's all the banter that I have. Anything more on your end before we wrap? Mm, I don't think so. I think we've covered the gamut today. All right, sounds good, my friend. Let's uh, wrap this up and let's actually start talking about some games. Yes, let's talk about some games. Let's talk about some games. Mm -hmm. 